Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I am Richard, Linda, Mikey. Closing time. One last call for joke. Al. That's what I've been singing. <laughs> You're stealing my bits. So we made it to the last episode of the last season of Twin Peaks. And boy, howdy. This <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck is boy howdy? It's an expression. <laughs> is it though? It absolutely is. This uh, was a vague and wild note to go out on. Um, no, Mikey yeah. disagrees. Yeah, really straightforward, straightforward. <laughs> linear, classic Lynchian linear storytelling. Yep. Uh, well, shall we? Yeah. All right. So, we start in the Black Lodge. We have... Like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> fire burning. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. C is sitting in the Black Lodge. His eyes are blue now instead of yeah. black, which Mikey told me to write down in case I forgot about it, but I didn't forget about it. In- mm, no, you you were saying something about wanting to see Mickey Blue Eyes again, and I I was like, oh yeah, write that down, and we can. I think, that's that must have been what you were. Talking I think about. "boy howdy" is a more relevant <laughs> phrase than "Mickey Blue Eyes." Mickey Blue Eyes. That's a deep pull, huh? I, I don't know. Yeah, like maybe. that. Just saying, Mickey Blue Eyes gave me a flashback to seeing that VHS on the shelves at Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. I'm just like kind of Hugh Grant's I don't think I've ever seen face. it. I don't know anything about it. I, I think it's somehow Hugh Grant gets wrapped up in the mafia. Yeah, but yeah. And is befuddled oh, and charming. No. Oh, 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 yeah. I figured as oh, much. Oh, I didn't. But that's, I don't, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it. But you just had that reference. Locked and loaded. Okay, so Mr. Mm-hmm. C is in the Black Lodge. He's got them blue eyes like Mickey. Um, surrounded by flames. Engulfed in flames. Yeah. Really surrounded by... Um, so he sort of poofs. Does he poof? Did he explode? I don't remember how he poofed. Uh, I think he... I don't remember. Honestly, I don't know. Okay. Um, but he... He doesn't just burn away. He vanishes. Sort or, of yeah. does it like weird special effect thing sure. that Lynch He's, tends to use. His Basically, his entity is seemingly destroyed. Uh-huh. It, it seems like this doppelganger version of Coop is gone. Right. Um, so Mike has that uh, a marble? Is that what we call it? Uh, the like the yeah the little golden orb? Yeah but it's seed. What is They called it something. Seed. They called it a seed. seed. Okay. But it yeah it looks like a gold marble. I, I hesitate to call it a gold orb because that reminds me of Lore, the lore of sure thing from an orb is a little more like yeah ethereal, and it's glowing and yeah um, and there's uses of orbs throughout the series but yeah yeah um so mike uses that seed and that hank of hair that cooper pulled out of his own yeah. noggin which grew apparently since the last episode yeah but. it was quite lo- it was like a quarter inch thing it was yeah. literally a handful of and hair. then it uses like when he's pinching them together it's like Using like stop motion photography, yeah. Like it's it's it it's another... it looks like it should, might as well be claymation, like the way it's like popping, but and it's like sparking. It's 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 you know like if you were to tap two ends of a 
jumper cables yeah, together just yeah. to see that spark. That's mm-hmm. kind of what he's doing. Um, so out of that seed and that hair, uh, Mikey has created a new Dougie Jones, which I, to me, it was not immediately clear that it was Doug, Dougie Jones and not We don't Hooper. know. I don't, that's, that's what's interesting. So he creates a new Kyle McLaughlin. Right. Uh, so he creates, this says he creates a new Dougie Jones. Right. I don't know that I knew so, it was Dougie Jones because he was wearing the suit. He had the short haircut. It, it comes from a wake Cooper in, because it comes from his hair. Right. So this is alive and well Cooper right before he says I'm the FBI from the hospital bed. That's when he plucks right. out that hair. Right. Gives it to Mike. Mike brings us to the seed. He creates this new Kyle McLaughlin out of it who is not wearing the FBI lapel pin. Okay. Which, and then it kind of, the camera does like the, like shaky kind of movement out of the Black Lodge and then movement up to the red, Dougie's red door. Mm -hmm. So this, this is when he, this is, this seems like when, uh, Alive Cooper says to Sonny Jim and Janie E, I will be, Dougie, either whatever, where he's like, Dougie, I will be back. I'll be whatever. I'll come home for you and, and whatever. This, I think, was his plan, was to create another entity of himself so that he can provide for this family and right. be there and, you know, they don't have to suffer this loss and whatever. Um. And it seems like Dougie, solely because he doesn't have the the, the FBI lapel pin, which is Dale Cooper, mm-hmm. genuine Dale Cooper's. Can I identify her? Yeah, exactly. Um, so he sends him there. But is that all they are on the scene? or? Uh, yeah, that's the end of okay. it. It shows up at the Jones home and is created yeah. by Janie. Opens. Here's, here's the thing is that seems odd to me, though, is he... This is a sweet moment. Sunny, Sunny Jim and Janie E come running up. Dad, you know, Dougie. They run up. They give him a big hug. And he says, home. Mm-hmm. Which, obviously, the idea of what is home and all that is kind of a through line through this entire series. But what's weird to me is that they do that. And they come up. They hug him. And he says, home. And they don't linger in it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, this seems like a moment that... Lynch would be like, let's sit in it. Let, yeah, let's sit here for a minute. Let this family, like, you know. Yeah, especially considering how dark this show is and how frequently yeah. Lynch likes to layer the dark and the light. It's, it's weird because it abruptly cuts to the next scene. Mm-hmm. And it's. Do you think that means something sinister? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Well, I, I, I don't know what it means, but it just. It seems like it needed two or three more seconds. That's it. Mm-hmm. And they just don't give it to us, which seems intentional. Yeah. For David Lynch to cut something short mm-hmm. is intentional. Right. And I don't know why. Right. I don't know what they're saying about that. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. But I, I, I find it interesting. I'm kind of playing with something in my head about about there not really being such thing as a happy ending. Yeah. And maybe that's what he's trying to do here of like, yes, things are back 
back to normal, right? Like their father and husband is back. But that is this is not a happy labor after moment. They mm-hmm. still and have it's to work right at and, the top of this episode. It's right. you know within the first couple of minutes. Yeah, that's my thought, but I'm not sure. If yeah, that's... I mean that could be. It's it's also like we're not here to tell this story. Mm-hmm. This is. Well, I, it almost feels like he's, like, throwing us a bone of wrapping up the Dougie story. Maybe. Yeah. Like, here, here, here. Okay. He's fine. They're fine. No child and, you know, sure. stay-at-home mom are abandoned at this point. Um. Okay. So then we cut back to one of the last scenes of the last episode with Cooper leading Laura. In color this time, though. Oh, yeah. What does that mean? So it's much shrugging color. on this podcast yeah. that you do. Means it's not in black and white. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just, just wanted to make sure I knew that to be confused about. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, I seemed too clear on what was going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um. So Cooper's leading Laura. So yeah, we see the whole scene that Cooper's leading Laura through the woods. That she, we kind of zoom in on Cooper. Zoom back out. She's gone. His mm-hmm. hand is his hand is empty. And, and then, you get that like. Mm-hmm. Crackling sound. Yeah, that. Um, ugh, I don't like that sound. And then he can hear her screaming. He can hear Laura screaming. Sustained. Yes. It's it's scary. She scary. does. She you know, Shirley has a great set of lungs. She's very Dang, very is very. Is she good the at best screaming. screamer in the business? She's gotta be. Up, she's certainly up she's there. Gotta be like a Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> status. Um, but she can absolutely scream with the best of them. Mm-hmm. Um. And usually, though, it's just, ah! Yeah. This was... It's prolonged. Yes. And and it doesn't change... Like, it's as blood-curdling at the front of it as it is in the end. Yeah. And it, 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 whatever is happening is bad. Yeah. And it's... I don't know. It's You don't see anything. You just see the calm of the woods, mm-hmm. but you just hear this absolute shrieking blood curdling scream mm-hmm. that lasts for seemingly minutes right all right so then we cut uh back in the uh into the, the black lodge where cooper is now uh talking to mike who says in that waiting room area with the chairs right mike says in backwards talk is it future or is it past i think i think that's the if if there if there is at all a key to this episode, mm-hmm. that's the key to this episode. Mm-hmm. This entire everything that happens, it's questionable what time period we're in, or what sense of reality we're right. in, and it's constantly shifting. And so to say blatantly at the front of this episode, is it future? Is it past? Is uh-huh. telling you, yeah, and no one, you know. No uncertain terms. This nothing is certain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. So just, just you know, and maybe this whole episode is doesn't belong at the end of this series. Maybe this whole episode is supposed to be shifted in to part three or part four. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's this whole series is. I'm out of order. You're out of order. This whole series is out of order. See what I did there? Um. But. Yeah, I, I think there's, I mean, when there's major, major themes or ideas or concepts that Lynch Frost are trying to show us, uh-huh. 
there tends to be a line or two that is like here's the thing here's what it is <laughs> yeah. yeah um so cooper looks over sees the chair where laura has had him before um, and follows Mike out of the room into that hallway that we've seen before into a different identical room. Mm-hmm. Um, and that but one you, has the... And you get that walk across the floor like you get from the season two finale, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. which is very matter of fact, mm-hmm. of like walking, you know, corner to corner in the room, corner to corner in the frame. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully set up and he is purposeful. Yeah, it's trucking. Um. So then we see the evolution of the arm, which is sort of a tree brain thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it asks... Electricity. That's good. Brain. Eli- yeah, no, that's good. I'll- I couldn't come up with a better pun. I'm sorry. I'll have to cut this all out, <laughs> including your pun. Um- Welcome back to Cooper Duper, <laughs> Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. I'm Jessica. What? It's me, Jessica. Oh, I knew it. Oh, dang it. Um, so, but the tree, or excuse me, the arm. No. Electricity. It's the evolution of the arm. Yeah. And it asks if it is the story about the little girl who lives down the lane. Is this the story of the little girl who lives down the lane? Is it? So what I thought was interesting about this is the way it was captioned. Because almost every time we see, if we get backwards talking, mm-hmm. they caption it for us because it would be inscrutable without it. Um, and so this one has like, it starts like, it's this story. First he says, I am the arm. Oh, yeah. And I sound like this. Oh, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. that noise. And it's the. Which I hate. It's a weird. I, I think it might be the backwards version of the whooping noise that the 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 little, the man from another place does. But the, it's the. Blah, 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 blah. And I think that might be backwards because it's just. It sounds like. Yeah, it's, it's just pretty upsetting sounding. Gr- yeah, it's kind of a weird gross sound. Um, And. Oh, but anyway, so it says like. Is this the story, dot, 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 and then that goes away, new line, about the little girl, dot, of dot, the dot, little dot girl. of a, whatever. I, yeah. not, my point is about, so it's like in sets of like three word phrases, mm-hmm. and then the last one is lives down the lane, and I think it does each word individually, lives down oh, really? the lane. He also, it, they're matching the rhythm of the speech pattern, right, too. Right, but the other ones just threw up a three-word phrase, and it said it in the time it said it. They didn't go up one they word do, at a time. They do that when he does non-existent. Right, but they I'm pointing out specifically sure. here. So they don't do it at the beginning of his story. They do do it at the end. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Um, Laura, uh, Laura whispers in Cooper's ear. Uh, she, Where are we? I mean, are you... Are you moving on to another scene? Are you... Yeah, I mean that was. You, I I don't. I'm know. just I reading just, through what it says. Okay, I didn't. I thought you were setting up a thing. I thought you'd want to no, talk I was just about it. Pointing out the thing about the close, um, the way it was. But captured. well, you you recognize that phrase though? Yes or no? No. That's that's what the very very upsetting phrase, um, that um, Audrey and Charlie have in their in their fight where he says. Are you going to do that, or do I have to end your story too? Oh. And Audrey says, "What story is that, Charlie? The story of the little girl who lived down the lane." Oh no! So this is a direct callback to that, which 
there's a movie there's also an old Jodie Foster movie called The Little Girl Who Lived Down the Lane uh-huh. uh horror movie I yeah so dive into that now what now what do you think of that well I didn't think about anything <laughs> before and I know somehow less now um I don't I have no idea what that's supposed to mean so I like what like that's what it like it feels who, like the beginning of a urban legend mm-hmm. is what it is what kind of it, it triggers with me of like oh did you hear about the little girl who lived down the street lived down the lane and then she had spiders growing in her hair or whatever I yeah I I question if this is a a meta moment and the story is the story of Laura Palmer and if you go back to when this was addressed earlier in Audrey's story is Audrey going to have to end this or like Charlie says do I have to end your story too are you, are we talking about this story this story that we've been watching for 3 seasons right is this story needing to come to an end? Uh-huh. In the final episode, we say this. Like, I I think it's somehow, you know, a self-referential. Is this the story of the little girl who... Like, he... So it's a question in... So the arms... The evolution of the arms is a question of a couple episodes ago. When, the, when she says, whose story is that? Mm-hmm. The story of the little girl who lived down the lane. This is almost a response to that is this the story of the little girl? Like, this story that we're all watching, is this the story? Oh. Beat. That's why you only get that bit in the subtitles. Is this the story of the little girl who lived down the lane? Uh-huh. And then follows up with, is it? Like, it's trying to drive home that is this, all of this, what we're watching, is this all the story of the little girl? Like, so- what, what we're so, like... We as the audience know the story of the little girl who lived down the lane if if we're taking that as Laura Palmer's story. Okay. We know her story as this high school girl who was beautiful and wonderful and loved and troubled and, you know, into mm-hmm. drugs and sex and all these dark things. But there was this light and this positivity and this energy and it was all cut short. And that's the story we know. Mm-hmm. So now we're introduced to this new version where this never happened. So is 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 this the story of the little girl who lived the lane? Because is it? Because this isn't the story that I know about the little girl who lived down the lane. You know what I mean? Like I think it's questioning. Like you, I think it, it's taking into question Laura Palmer's story. Okay. Like oh, undoing Laura, undoing Laura's death. Is that the right story? That's not Laura's story. Mm, what is Laura's I story? I see Laura's story is this trouble girl who chose to die so that she could win and she could not be taken yeah. by Bob. She could not be consumed by Bob. And it was her one piece of victory is that she allowed herself to die. And now she they're undoing that. And so it's questioning, like, is this Laura's story? I don't think this is Laura's story. story. This shouldn't this be. Yeah. This shouldn't be Laura's story. What is this story now? Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't know, that's kind of what I get out of that. That makes sense. But also, maybe nothing. Like, yeah. like, like maybe he's just a fan of that Jodie Foster movie. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if, if, like, is it about storytelling in general? 
because like is this little story is this story about a little girl who lives down the lane feels like a very like it could be like I went urban legend it could be fairy tale it could be mm, yeah. any mo- any number it's of movies basically once upon a time exactly exactly yeah. yes exactly so I wonder I don't know I don't know if that means anything that's just yeah I think I think my take on just that line delivery or whatever is the emphasis is the word this is this the story Mm -hmm. and then at the end is it it being this being interchangeable Mm -hmm. or whatever but that i think is what they're saying is like this what you're watching right now Mm -hmm. what the fuck is this this is this isn't the story anybody wanted right and you're making me do this yeah you know what i mean like Uh you're you're Laura got her ending, and now you're kind of making me do this. Mm-hmm. You're forcing my hand, and nobody wants this, including Laura. Right. I don't know. Uh, so we see Laura whisper into Cooper's ear, and she's lifted screaming through the lodge ceiling, which was... And we hear, oh? Yeah. It's like, I... I this, this, these scenes, all of McLaughlin's facial readings... And these scenes are like we talked about with the end of Casablanca, where it was like, <laughs> give me a slate that we can project whatever. Like, sometimes yeah. it looks like horror. Sometimes it looks like awe. Yeah. Sometimes, like, it's just, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And it can be, you can put whatever fucking emotion you want behind it. Yeah, exactly. He's just a projection screen. Um, so, uh, Cooper goes back into the room where, where he started, I think. And he sees Leland. Which always happy to see Leland. It's always and, welcome in my Twitter. And this is a tale. repeat. We saw this is mm-hmm. this is what we saw in the first episode when mm-hmm. also when Mike says, "Is it future? Is it past?" Uh-huh. Like so now, okay, we're seeing this again. And I have not seen that ep- that old episode, that first episode, and since eighteen weeks ago or mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> so I don't remember if this is another take. Or is this the exact same shot? Oh yeah. I don't know if they, you know, did it again slightly different. I or just no got idea. a few takes and used two different takes. Yeah, so, what, like, or is it just they actually are repeating the same footage take yeah. of Leland saying "Find Laura"? Right. Um. So he then goes through. Um. So the curtains are like kind of moving of their own accord. Well, he's doing this gesture with his hand. Yeah, so he leaves the room again, goes down the hall. to So we're getting this sort of transition walk again. And then he's reaching for the curtain and where the curtain gap is, it just, as he gets closer, so, it starts shaking more. Yeah, so two things. First, we see this same exchange, the fine Laura, and he walks down that hall in episode one and he walks to the front curtain, which is what we know to be the entrance and exit curtain and like thunk, it doesn't do anything can't mm-hmm. get out that way I don't understand why and now when he walks as he's walking he's doing this thing where his arm is out in front of him he's holding his arm out uh-huh. and he's kind of turning his hand back and forth yeah. kind of wiggling his fingers a little bit uh-huh. and that seems to be what's making it open uh-huh. um, why he has this knowledge or power or ability now I don't know and so at this is point, it is it because Mr. C is back? And at this point he's So this is Cooper. This is definitely not Dougie anymore. I it's not Dougie. It's, I don't think it, I don't think it's Dougie. Don't know that it's Cooper. Okay. Couple of things that indicate that to me. One, 
during the whisper scene with Laura, where she's whispering in his ear. He doesn't speak, so you can't really know for sure. But the way his head moves, uh-huh. he's backwards. Yes, yes, I noticed. Even that this well. scene while he's walking mm-hmm. looks he does a really good job of trying to make it look forward, but he's walking backwards. I think so too. Cooper doesn't move. He's when we've seen Cooper, the Dale Cooper we know, he's always forwards in the red room. Huh. He speaks forward, he moves forward, he's always forward in the red room. Wait, wasn't he backwards at the season 2 finale? When he was laughing, when he was cackling with Bob, wasn't that backwards or no? Um, that might have been, but that was not Dale Cooper. That oh, was sure, sure. that was Mr. C. C. That yeah. was the Doppel Cooper or whatever. Um, the the Dale Cooper that we know and love for two seasons of the first series mm-hmm. has always moved forward in the red room. Mm-hmm. This Cooper, who's wearing the FBI pin, right. so it seems like Cooper is not moving forward, and they're trying to hide that. They don't give him any dialogue. Mm-hmm. They don't. They give him small movements, but his walk down that long, narrow hallway. I think it's backwards. It looks backwards. Yeah, I think it so looks too. backwards. And he, you know, and then, and then of course, reversed. So it, he's walking forward. Yeah. But, and, well, because my impression was also, it seemed like when he's walking to the curtains, the way they start moving looks like they're reversed to me. Like somebody yeah. was shaking them and then like just letting the momentum and then, go out yeah, of it. Because it's immediately, it just starts going. Like yes. it doesn't fade out, yeah. it fades in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that leads me to believe, I don't know who this is. Right, I kind of had the same impression. And, of, and, and, and then I- once we get him out, this character we see the entire episode is not the it's not our Dale Cooper. Right. He's a different I mean, he's named something else at, at a certain point. Yeah. He's still referred to as Dale and, and Dale Cooper if he references like I'm Dale Cooper, I'm right. with the But I don't know that he is Dale Cooper. I my impression was that it was Mr. C and Dale Cooper kind of sure. smooshed together because because it could, felt like Cooper well but be. like slightly more sinister. Mm-hmm. It's sort of what I got the impression yeah, of. And like when we get to the diner this scene. Is the, the way- the f- if there's a yin and a yang, this is the yin yang. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that that all makes sense. But but I, this isn't the, the bubbly Mr. Goodman yeah. Cooper that. Thumbs up. Yeah. Loves this is This yeah. isn't him. Um, so he. So when he gets through that billowing curtain, he gets to. Glastonbury Grove, but in the Red Room, which this is the first time we've seen that, right? All no, those it's, trees. It's Glastonbury Grove is the entrance to the Red Room. So this is how this is how we got in at the end of season two. Right, right. But we've seen Glastonbury Grove Grove in nature, like we see the tree stand and stuff like that, right? Or am I thinking? Yeah, I don't. It, I don't understand. But what you're it would. It's the trees in the Red Room, like it, they're planted into no, the no, shed. They're, they're like the, it's all like overlaid on each other. Oh, I thought It's like a weird passageway. So like the curtain kind of just appears in the middle of the forest and he walks through it and he's in the red room. And now it's the same thing, but the other way around. And so he steps out into the woods. Okay. Um, So he's, yeah. So he steps out into Twin Peaks, which is where Diane is waiting for him. That's that's how I see it anyway. Um, She asks if it's really him. He asks if it's really her. They smooch. Um... And he refers to her as Diane, but she never says his name. No, she's not. I she know, just says, I is it really well. you? Yeah. Um, 
And then we have our first driving scene of the episode. Uh, Cooper and Diane drove 430 miles, largely right. in silence. <laughs> yeah. Yep. In again, again, he's they're in. I mean, he's wearing a a black suit, mm-hmm. which could fit any time frame. Right. She's wearing like a that red pen, wig still. Yeah, red wig, which that's a little unique if it's in the past. But they're driving like a 1960s Pontiac or uh-huh. something. Like it's an old vehicle. Right. They don't pass anything that's. They don't play the radio. Yeah, they don't play. The thing I noticed. Yeah. They're like. There's no, no, they don't pass any establishments that look modern. They don't step pass any street signs that are, mm. you know, noteworthy. All they see is the electrical yeah. grid. And so when is this? Sure. And then the woods. And the woods, that's not dated. So this is your first moment of when the fuck are we? Right. Like, she, you know, she, she's, she's a little bit more modern looking with the red hair and the big uh-huh. red bracelets and stuff. Uh-huh. But like. Then they're driving this old ass car. Right. And then they drive the 430 miles, which presumably is a reference to Remember 430. Right. Which is one of the fireman giants clues. Right. And Mikey noticed, because they kept saying, oh, almost 430 miles. Yeah. And you're like, from where? From, yeah. They don't, a, from, a starting point is never indicated. From Glastonbury Globe? Maybe. maybe? Could be. I mean, that's. Which that's, direction? That's just, it's, yeah. yeah. And then how did you measure your walk from the, the thing to the car right. like because he's clearly looking at a like a odometer uh-huh. or whatever like yeah maybe it's just any direction just maybe Twin Peaks is in the middle of like a dome that's 430 times 2 is 860 miles in diameter and so if you drive 430 miles in any direction you'll leave the dome I mean it would be a structural marble it's I mean like that's not unheard of like Twin Peaks is a weird place we everybody we get to get to Twin Peaks we never see them like walk into I guess they pass the sign but like we hear them we hear them talk about their drive-in and yeah those pine trees and eating that cherry pie on the way yeah I suppose um okay so so they hit that 430 miles um Diane says that um Cooper gets out well, she says that their destination will not be what he expects. And so they get, they finish their drive. He gets out of the car, kind of looks around. He gets. You can hear and like feel the electricity. Uh-huh. Like they, there's bass going. And yeah, so if yeah, you've yeah. got a decent sound system, you can kind of feel like the. Mm, yeah. Like the humming of the, the electrical lines, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, the sound design in this series is incredible. Anyway. Yeah, it's very good. Um. He returns to the car. He pr- confirms to Diane that um, Zip. that they're in the right place. And he requests a kiss before they drive through the portal because he says, what, things are about to change or things could change or something is different after yeah, we, things, we pass yeah, through it, this. Things will be different, yeah. Um, so they kiss, they drive through the portal, and they end up... It was daytime, right? When they're driving, and then it turns to yeah, night? Yeah, that's, that's the big transition yeah. is like... It kind of flickers and you see lights yeah, like and all flashing the middle of the night. and all of a sudden they're in the middle of the night, but don't seem to be like confused. Yeah. It feels like well, it's like they just drove into a tunnel well, or out of a tunnel. It feels like there's like, if you were to take Cooper and Diane daytime and drive them forward on 
one timeline and then matching in a parallel timeline is Cooper and Diane at night and then flip-flop them. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like the two the, the two timelines like crisscross. Yeah. And so it seems to be linear for both parties, mm-hmm. but now they're in an entirely different timeline. It's I feel like a lot of this is so if you if you get the description like in Back to the Future 2. Okay. When Marty McFly goes back to Hill Valley in 1985 okay. and he goes to like his the McFly house and there's another family living there and they chase him out with a gun because it's still 85 but it's 85 from a different, different, different. point. Yeah. So it's that same like these two things are still happening but they're you got to figure out how to jump from one timeline to another. Well, it's like the multiverse, right? Like right. every decision you make, you could have made a million different decisions. Sure. And, and in theory, there are universes in which that and, decision is made. And what I think this lo- this particular location is, is some type of space-time continuum tear mm. that allows them to not continue on their current uh-huh. universe, multiverse, whatever timeline. They can jump to another one. Right. And so I think that's kind of what happens here. Because they not only... Yeah, because it's... I don't know. But there's something... There's different times happening. But then they pull into that hotel, motel. Holiday Inn. And it's 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 an old-timey motel. Yes. And it could be just a, an old motel that's been around for right. 70 years. Right. Or they're in the fucking 1960s. Okay. And I guess I don't know. Okay, so so say they're in the 19th. Or they're in the 2000s or whatever, but in a timeline where cars didn't progress at the same rate. And so they're still, like, they didn't, there wasn't this, you know, industrialism boom. Right. And so they're still using all this old equipment, uh-huh. but it's the 2000s or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it could, we don't know. But thing, thing, Something things different. that would normally date a scene, mm-hmm. like when a production designer comes in and, and looks around a room and dates a scene, oh, this this didn't exist in this time frame uh, or things like that, that shit is all wrong in this this whole episode. Right. And, and in a way that's intentional. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying that. Continuity. Yeah. The production designer who I think is Ruth DeYoung. Um. I'm not saying that she did a bad job. I'm saying she likely did an incredible job because right. we can't make sense of it and we're not supposed to. Right. Uh, so they reach a motel. Um, Cooper goes inside. Uh, while sitting in the car, Diane sees herself briefly before Cooper returns. Yeah, such a creepy scene. So eerie. It's and so just, She just steps out and stares at her and they both have like, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then, so they enter the motel room. They have sex. Very, again, basically in real time. <laughs> it's such a bizarre. It's so uncomfortable for me to watch. And it starts like. Keep talking at a repo. Okay. Um. Yeah. Like so, I think the main thing that I find bothersome is the stillness of it all, especially from Cooper, who just like they're not. It doesn't feel very intimate. It feels very cold. There's a lot of what I've been hearing from a lot of people is that this is some type of ritual. 
like this is some type of sex ritual. Okay. And so it is. It is mechanical. They're all, they are doing specific things, because because it's even like they walk in and she says, "What do we do now?" And he says, "Well, you walk over here to me. Uh-huh. Like like I'm giving you the instructions of mm-hmm. what is going to happen." Because neither of them are into it. Right. Yeah. But but it's not like non consensual. Right. Like he's got this like he looks like he's, Mr. C in this. Scene. Yeah, he's very like, focused. It, and he's he's shot in such a way where like the blackness of his hair falls into the blackness of his mm-hmm. background and you can't even tell how long it is. Yeah. And it's and he's that and she's covering his face. That was weird. Which which is a reminiscent of all of the woods the the woodsmen or whatever who when Mr. C every time he died they would like Pog massage his face, face yeah. to like pull Bob out and uh-huh. shit. Like is she trying to do that? Is she trying to pull out this Ugh. otherworldly entity of some kind? Or or my other thought is that this is also just some she was in love Diane, <laughs> Diane Evans from back in the day was in love with Dale Cooper. Uh-huh. And then when Cooper switched and became this other evil Cooper, mm-hmm. that Cooper raped her. Uh-huh. If if that story is true, as we know it. And she is trying to recover from that. Oh, sure. And being with this man that she still loves. And she still loves Dale Cooper, but I can't look at him. Because he still has the face of the monster that did this to me. Huh. And I'm wondering how much of it is just like her trying to overcome her own trauma. That's an interesting take. I just, I find this whole romantic element of their relationship to be confusing. Because I... Uh, None of it's normal. Yeah, Yeah. I don't understand. So when she said, when it was Mr. C and she was telling everybody about, he came over and he was asking about the FBI. I couldn't tell if... It was clear to her that, like, him coming over is a regular thing. They have mm-hmm. sex frequently, and either they're in a romantic relationship or they're in a platonic relationship where they have sex or whatever. I could not tell if which was which. Mm-hmm. And, and, we, and she was can't. a known liar at that time. Yeah. In the and series. I, and yeah. I still can't. I cannot tell if these two have been in a long-term relationship and are kind of reunited or, mm-hmm. if, or if it's a culmination of a 25, 30-year-long mm-hmm. friendship. And when are that, we? Right, 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 right. Like, but I mean, their their age, right? They're both in their fifties or sixties sure. or whatever. But that's also like it seem it seems like there's a disconnect between like consci- n- consciousness and then the the vessel that you're using. Well, there's no emotional connection between them in any sense. Sure. As soon as they get in the car, considering the previous episode when they kiss, it's there's a spark there. Yeah. And then they get in the car and just sit in silence, which is not... They don't touch... For a long time. A yeah. long time. 430 miles yeah. is a yeah. fucking long while. Um, so, uh, so anyway, they have sex. The next morning, um, Cooper wakes up in bed and he's alone. He's looking for Diane. Which seems like the same room. I, I was looking at pieces of like because they walk into this room and it looks like it could be a room out of the 60s except for the tv which is like a 19 late 80s early 90s tv oh okay i feel like i noticed a lamp was slightly modern but i don't i could be there like some some little things have changed like when he wakes up and and then i get you get engrossed in this weird sex scene and then i forget some of the details right but like 
a lot of it is the same. Right. There's still the same like beige rotary phone. Mm-hmm. Like, and I guess which also looks like it, but that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. But to me, like him waking up, I guess more, more specifically when he goes through that. Um, you, you also get another moment during that sex scene of what you like to refer to of them where she's someone looking straight up. Oh yeah. yeah you get an yeah. overhead shot of someone looking up. Uh-huh. Um, you get another one of those, which happens right. Like, so they start when they start having sex, the, that song, my prayer is playing, mm-hmm. which is the song that was playing when everyone passed out in part eight. Mm-hmm. Then it fades out and turns into this weird, creepy, eerie music. Mm-hmm. And then when she looks up and you get that shot again, uh-huh, my prayer kicks back in as though she's referencing something above. Interesting. Okay. I, and that's, that's part of where that ritual idea comes in and the idea of trans, like moving from place to place, time to time. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, it's, there's something fascinating going on here and it isn't like, it's frustrating though because like it's it's not even it's like there's a series of clues that don't seem to connect to each other and I know there's not going to be an answer but it's more, like it feels like he's trying to tell me something but I don't know what it is like I feel like this versus like a Charlie Kaufman flick that's just sort of weird for weird sake and kind of introduces dream logic just to mm-hmm. sort of be meta and, and odd. Whereas, and there's no like, I don't think, no correct interpretation of mm-hmm. of like adaptation or whatever. Although that one's a little straightforward. But, um, but I just, I feel like he's laying out breadcrumbs, but they're just oh, yeah. scattered randomly. Yeah. And so there's no, this isn't a connect, connect by numbers. This is somebody spilling paper like, on a paper. It's, what it is is it feels like if you if you if yeah who who was it who's the stand up comedy who or this is stand stand up comic who does someone does a bit about seeing another stand up and he went into like an open mic and someone was doing stand up and he's like I don't know if this stand up was very very funny like. Or, like, was really, really fucked up on drugs. Mm. Or was, like, Andy Kaufman level funny. Oh. Because he would... The the routine he was doing... So this stand-up is telling routine about this other stand-up. And this other stand-up's routine was that he was so fucked up that he kept falling asleep in the middle of a set. And he'd be like, man, I don't know where to begin. So I said, don't even fucking... With the leg, yeah, and like, and, and it just kept coming story. as though the story kept going while he was asleep, but he didn't tell those parts. That's what it feels like is happening here. There's a whole story here. We just don't see all of it. Like there's this. This would make sense if we saw this other part, but this other part only exists in David Lynch's mind. Sorry, I'm trying to find it, but sad part is, I have a sneaking suspicion it might be Louis C.K. That's what I'm worried about too. And he's a fucking creepo monster. Well, all I'm getting is that Deal Hewley passed out on stage because he had COVID while he was doing stand up. So that was from June. So I don't know. I'll see if I can find it. 
Anyway. Yeah, so it does feel like we're getting... <laughs> it's kind of like we're we're hearing a like a three-part harmony song but we're only hearing like the top part so like there's no real melody it doesn't yeah. work on its own it yeah. just sort of sounds scary and weird but it's legit it sounds right yeah, yeah it's, like nothing sounds wrong right, right, right like it doesn't sound like this is just oh this was just bad storytelling uh-huh. it everything seems so meticulous and purposeful uh-huh. it's yeah it's but it's such an odd scene so um, so he wakes up, he gets out of bed, and he's shirtless and wearing, like, very generic underwear. So, like, there's no... He's not sure. specifically in mm-hmm. a different outfit or whatever. Um, it's not like he wakes up in the season two finale pajamas. He and, has. and it's like, he wakes up, and then... But then you're trying to force things there. So I'm like, oh, he... Uh, maybe he looked. He looked like he was in in better shape in the episode where we saw where he has sex with Janie E. He looked like he was a little more fit. Maybe he's let himself go a little bit by yeah. the. And you're like, no, he's just slouched forward on the bed. Like, right. no, there's nothing. This this isn't that. Yeah. Like it's you just. I'm trying to plug things in because I want to so hard. Yeah, you're trying to find the pattern. Right. Um. So he finds a note. On the nightstand, kind of on the lamp, um, that's to Richard uh, from Linda says that. And he, uh, the way he read to Richard, dear Richard, Richard. Yeah. Like he he has a general moment. Like it isn't like oh they didn't they were these entities using these other. He seems baffled by that. Yeah. So he um, he reads out loud. It's Linda is saying by the time you, very dramatic. By the time you read this, I don't I'll know, be gone. But it's like I don't know who you are anymore. Yeah, I've broken things off because I don't recognize you anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's signed from Linda. So and he, and the last exchange where she's looking at Mister C, it was kind of the same thing. Like that's not the one. That's not who I know. Mm-hmm. That's not the Dale I know. Mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of idea. Yeah. Um. So it's signed from Linda. So Linda Here's dumped Richard. Richard and Linda. And Diane is gone. Is yeah, she? we don't know where she is. Yeah. So are they Richard and Linda? Because, and I only remember this because I hit a hot link for Richard, but didn't the giant say yeah, remember the names I mean, Richard our, or Linda? Yeah, that's our Richard and Linda. Um. So when you talk about, if you talk about this being some type of like ritualistic sex um, you know, ritual, I guess. <laughs> ritual, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like, we'll punch as, it up in post. As a transitional element of some kind, like, is this moving Diane to another location? Like, is it that Cooper? Is this? Did she really go anywhere, or or was that part of the thing was to send her to this other better place, or did they split timelines because it was he, something? Yeah, did he they leaves split the from motel, each other. His car is different. It's a different motel. The motel is different. Yeah, this is a two story now. He's in like a modern Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's he exit like the room internally looks basically the same. I got it. I figured it out. Sorry, shut up. I figured it out. Um, it is in the 19... What year would Laura Palmer have been born? If she was killed... 1972? Okay. Um, okay, yeah. Ish. So, this is 1972 or whenever Laura... 71. And 
uh, Laura's parents are Dale, question mark, Cooper, and question mark, Diane. And because they had... So, no, it's nothing. I thought I had something. Where did you think you were going? Oh, just the idea that Cooper and Diane are Laura's real parents. And for some reason, that's why when they when he wakes up in this new reality that had never happened and that's why there's no Laura Palmer no that's nothing either but it gets you thinking and that's what's great about it I don't feel great though I feel frustrated and annoyed Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's that's honestly one of my favorite things about this show as a whole is you start go- and then things make sense and then you try to explain them and you're like, wait, what? Yeah, that's exactly. I thought I pieced something together, <laughs> but yeah. I honestly have no idea what it was. Like it was kind yeah. of a bit that I said I solved it, but I was like, oh, actually, I think I really have a good yeah, thread here. It's, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's, but it, it's just trigger. Like <laughs> you know what it I'm, oddly triggers parts of your brain that you don't that don't normally. Get you know, you know what makes me like. feel like is you know when you're walking and there's a hair like on your shirt or something like that and every time you move your arm it like brushes like if you're walking there's like a hair on your shirt and it kind of brushes your arm every time you walk but you just can't find where the hair <laughs> is like that's the feeling I have like sure. I have there's something there but every time I like reach for it it just yeah. sort of dissolves I, I in have front that of with me. my glass like I always feel like there's something on my glasses or in my eyebrow or something that I can seal it or see it uh-huh. or I can feel it and I can't do anything about it yeah basically every time I try to give Mikey a kiss he yells at me because I smudge his glasses so that's oh. the sort of relationship we have I smudge my glasses so much <laughs> With my face, yeah. because it's on your face, because of smooching. Yeah. Most people like smooching, even if it means... Wait, what'd you say? <laughs> That's recorded. People are going to hear this. You're going to go on record and say, I'm not a fun person to smooch with? <laughs> it's recording, Mr. Greif. <laughs> I hate you. So... So yeah, I think we solved it. Yeah, yeah. I just um, we we mentioned something, but it might have got cut out. But we we solved it. We we definitely got. Oh it. yeah, I might have cut it out because it was probably boring. It yeah, wasn't like yeah. funny. I like, don't want to give banter. it all away to you guys. We want to <laughs> let you guys have questions. Um. So. So Cooper starts driving. Um. He gets to Odessa. Texas, mm-hmm. and and the the plates of the Lincoln that he gets in are from Texas. Our Texas plates. So I seemingly his hotel is in Texas. Oh yeah, that. Wait. So I want to know how far it is from Washington to Texas. Oops. But you get that great shot too of the Odessa city limit sign with the like population, which is a obviously a direct correlation to. Oh. The Twin Peaks population sign. So, okay. So the drive from Spokane to Odessa is 1,719 miles. So it wasn't, it's not 430 miles away, which in hindsight is a very dumb thing oh, to well, think. Because they, they went somewhere. They Once they crossed, they crossed into a weird place. Right. Um, so it would take us one day and one hour to drive from Spokane. And there's some speed traps in Utah you should watch oh, out yeah. for. So thank you, Google Utah, Maps. Utah, Mormons. <laughs> Around Salt Lake City. Fucking oh, Mormon so you, coppers. Yeah, you got to worry about the 
Hutch and Chantal out there too. Oh God, you hate to see Mormon Utah like... Mormons. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so he gets to Odessa. Odessa. So he gets Which, to Odessa. I gotta wonder if is a like I how familiar are you with the Odyssey? I am not. I assume you more than me because you were a yeah, but not a lot. But I I've heard from a lot of people that there's so definite he, comparisons between this story and the story of the Odyssey. So the, most I know about the Odyssey is Oh Brother Where Art Thou is loosely based on it. And and I think the setting this in Odessa it very much is a reference to the Odyssey. So the Odyssey is about um directly after the Trojan War is about Odysseus, who's the main character in the Odyssey? Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, that's that seems pretty. Yeah, it's. A, I just wanted to double check. It's Odysseus, um, and he's trying to return home after the Trojan War, right. but keeps running into all these obstacles. I think there's a cyclops at some point. Which is, yeah, yeah. There's there's and then the sirens, and I know yeah, it's like exactly. that. Like, but that's what's happening here. He's trying to take. Laura, Laura Palmer uh-huh. home and keeps running into yeah I can see that yeah I mean there's there's a correlate like and then Dougie got to go home everything is about getting home mm-hmm. but the question is what the fuck is home and what's Cooper's home exactly all of it like what is home and making sure you're going to the right home mm-hmm. you know like if I take you to a house where you were fucking abused your whole life right that's not home right that's a house you lived in. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so he's in Odessa. He uh, stops at a shop that's called Eat at Judy's. And Which, it, it isn't, like, he's drawn there. Like, he's driving by and, like, sees this, which yeah. I guess is, a, and actually it's a restaurant called Rudy's. Oh, yeah? And they just changed the R to a J to oh, make it Judy's. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's like there's a white horse out front and like yeah, one of those riding so. horses. Yeah. Everything inside is horseshoes and mm-hmm. rodeo pictures and which that's just kind of Texas. Sure, absolutely. So it it's, it it not only seems fitting but also like horses have been a symbol throughout this series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see the horse on the nights. I guess he's not there yet. So never mind. Go ahead. So this to me is when it became pretty clear that this wasn't regular old Dale Cooper mm-hmm. or in my opinion I don't know because he sits down and is a perfectly like polite customer mm-hmm. but she asks him if he wants coffee and he just sort of indicates that he does that he doesn't he isn't a, like boisterous the way he usually is he isn't he doesn't stop her and make her yeah make her like, wait to like make sure the coffee's good and tell her yeah. how good it is like he feels like just a different person and mm-hmm. it feels closer to Mr. C than it does to Cooper to me um, especially when um, the waitress, she he asks about the other waitress that works there, which I love in movies and shows like this. There's always like two waitresses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where's the I other mean, waitress that works there? Shitty diners are that. But then yeah. they're always like 24-hour diners, and you're well, like, well, this one I noticed was open 5:30 to 3 p.m. Okay, which I which I did notice. Which and they even like half their chairs and tables were like pushed off into the back. It did feel cavernous for a diner, yeah. which yeah. I guess like real estate, it like not to use the things are bigger in Texas, but like it tracks. They have a lot of space in Texas, so it just right. Shits and bigger. they just aren't busy enough, so they have two waitresses, and they right. 
move out all the tables so that they're not spread well, just out. That, yeah. It feels like they removed a whole row of tables yeah. between the booths and the, mm-hmm. the bar. The they wall. moved all the tables, basically. Oh, yeah. Everything they could. Yeah. And all the booths are still there. Um, so, so now we know there's another waitress. It's her day off. She's been gone for a couple days. It's her third day off, third she day said. Off. Yeah, and and like, the way she said it. It's snarky. Like, yeah. yeah, I keep having to work because she doesn't right. fucking show up. Yeah. Um, so as he's looking at the menu, um, the waitress goes over to the only other occupied There's booth. two other tables, but... Are there? Uh, the other... There's one table in the back with the old old couple. Oh, the old couple. Yes, of yeah. course. Because we cut to them a few times for a reaction shot. same siding and looking at everything. They're just yeah. observers of all this. Oh, I assumed they were at, a, like, the bar at the double they're, bar, but I don't... Yeah, I think they're, you're at right. a, they're just they're at a table, but it's a table, like, facing the front right. door. Yeah. Do you think same ciders is a thing that people... No off the top of their head if they didn't wait in a restaurant. Uh, I mean, obviously, I it think you can put it together. No, obviously, pretty people easily. put it together, but like same ciders is definitely uh, just like a term that I've used. But also, a zillion times. that's kind of the, the uh, a situation where you'd want to be a same because you oh, sitting back and looking at everything. You're watching. Yeah, all if the, there's like a yeah. banquet booth yeah. and I'm out to dinner with my mom, we're always same ciders because yeah. we're notorious people watchers and probably won't talk anyway and just <laughs> <laughs> just stare at people. Um. So these men are like, this is harassing him, like full on, like yeah, he's like groping the back of her, groping leg. her, like yeah. this isn't like oh whatever, your but legs yeah, look nice. You can't hear what she's. I mean, that's harassment. No, There's of course, varying but it degrees is, of harassment. Yes, but, yes. but this is more assault than yeah, harassment. Yeah. And those are there's, different. There's physical, physical he's contact. Grabbing her, leg. looks like back. Looks like he's get he's at the back of her leg and he's trying, trying to, to get go up higher her skirt. and she's not yeah. letting him. Yeah. Um. So he immediately calls them out. Cooper. Cooper immediately calls them out. Right, which tells is him to stop. This is where you get the white knight, mm-hmm. Cooper, who mm-hmm. I will save everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, but, so, so this isn't Mister C. Mister C wouldn't give a shit. No, this but the way he ends up dispatching them feels very Mister C to me. So he says, "Don't do it." And one of the guys like gets up and basically says, "Say it to my face," essentially. Yeah. Um, and so the guy draws a gun on Cooper. Mm-hmm. And so he's wearing a cowboy hat, the Wrangler jeans, like very full-on yep. cowboy type. Um, pulls the gun on Cooper. And Cooper kind of warns him. He does that sort of warning of like... I wouldn't do that. Yeah. yeah. And he... The way he grabs the gun and... So he, the guy's pointing the gun in his face. He grabs it and slams it like muzzle down into the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so gets that away from that guy. Another guy runs up. He shoots him in the... And then kicks him in the balls. Kicks him in the balls. Forgot no. about the ball kicking. And then the other guy runs up, shoots him in the fucking foot. Yeah, he. this is where he pulls his own... His own sidearm, His yeah. own gun. Shoots and that guy in the foot. Guy number three comes up and is kind of has his hands up, like, I don't want any trouble, man. And he says, put your gun on the floor. Yeah, put, like, I don't have a gun. gun. Put, put your gun. gun. And it's, yeah. Um, and and then sit down on the floor and yeah you know, like these guys the the way these three guys interact with me or interact with each other reminds me of the Fuscos. Oh sure, like just these like three dudes kind of like blah, 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 blah. like nobody's like like laughing at everything and stuff like that. But one guy does all the talking. Uh-huh. You know, I yeah. like I get I this is rem, remnant like there's something about this like threesome of dudes mm-hmm. that like I don't I get flashes of the Fusco's for some reason. Yeah, do we have any other trios in Twin Peaks? I mean, the Candy Mandy Sandy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I guess Trios is just kind of a classic. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Classic side gang. Okay, so he has, um, so he, so he dispatches these guys that are on the ground. One guy has, can't be clear enough, been shot in the fucking foot. Yeah, he's ripped his boot off. Yeah, he's bleeding through his sock. Yeah, yeah. it's upsetting. Um, he gets the other waitresses. Quote, oh, we know it's the other waitress. We don't hear her name yet. There's, yeah, there's a great moment too where he's standing over the guys with his gun drawn, uh-huh. Cooper, and it looks very much like the the Dirty Harry shot of the Do You Feel Lucky? Oh, punk. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I find interesting because this waitress is Clint Eastwood's daughter. What? Um, and I'm curious if this was a dirty hairy moment, and so they cast Clint Eastwood's daughter, or vice versa, or was it like, oh, we got Clint Eastwood, let's do a little dirty hairy nod, uh-huh. or was it absolutely a coincidence? And I'm plugging things together because Twin Peaks turns me into a conspiracy theorist. Oh, I think the. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the first two. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think it's it seems, a full-on you know, coincidence. Yeah. Because even I kind of recognized it, and I've never seen Dirty Harry. Mm-hmm. Is Dirty Harry the name of the movie or the name of his character? Both. Cool. Is, was he a dirty cop? Is that why he's Dirty Harry? Yeah. I, I haven't seen that. I've, seen, I've only seen the first one, and I haven't seen it in ages. I don't even remember what happens. I think only Clint I don't know that he was a dirty cop. I think he was just like a rogue mm, cop played by his own rule yeah exactly um i think the only clint eastwood movie i've seen is the good the bad and the ugly i don't think i've seen any other clint really? uh, no any, that i mean any no, of i've like, seen the trouble with the curse I, I i guess modern some of the yeah like million dollar baby or anything like Million Dollar baby uh, no i don't like movies that i know are gonna like fully bum me out i mean and yeah and the movies he directs that he's in are always like Oh, uber God. capitalist conservative yeah. agenda. Does he have movies. a book that a book? Does he have a movie that's literally called like "Get Off My Lawn" or something like that? That's a he says that it that's Gran Torino. Oh. You're sure it's not called "Get Off My it's Lawn"? What that's what everyone refers to it <laughs> Get as. Get Off My no Lawn: Colon it. Kids yeah. These Days. Yeah, colon, basically, mostly Mexicans, yeah. probably. <laughs> um. Okay. So he. So again, this unnamed waitress. He gets this unnamed waitress's address from. Who I th- think her name was sylvia from a name tag oh oh i'm sorry when i say unnamed waitress i'm talking about the, oh, the absent oh, 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 waitress oh, yeah, who because yeah. he doesn't say we, does we don't so know who so he's wor- looking for right. he's looking for this gotcha off-camera waitress guy. yeah um i see what you mean so he gets his address he <laughs> i really liked this moment that he's She's writing down the address. He grabs the fries. He grabs the fries out of the oil, like the fry basket, mm-hmm. and he's just holding it. He's like, what do I also, do with this? Also, what time is this? Why are they cooking fries? Oh, It I seems like this. it's early in the morning. They're, the couple was eating pancakes. Like, oh, I didn't could notice. be a breakfast anytime situation. Are you situation. sure it was fries? It wasn't like a... It's, it's a basket full of fries. Huh. And like, it, they, uh, they wanted this... Crinkle cut? Shoestring? They, just big, the fat guys. Oh, nice. Yeah. Steak fries? Not quite steak fries, but just like... Oh, like what Max and Irma's used to have. Like the the, the size of a crinkle cut fry, but uh-huh. not crinkle. Smooth. Smooth cut um, fries. That's what we call them in the business. But he pulls... I think they just... They needed something to be frying to show sure. the heat and it yeah. moving the way nobody ever in real life ties ribbons to fans, but... <laughs> you just need you, a you visual need them So that you can cue. see that it's on. Um, but yeah, he, he grabs the fry basket and it's like, where does this go? <laughs> And she's like in the slot right there. And that huh. feels more 
like Cooper. Yeah, of like exactly. he's not going to like put it on the counter, which he could, and like probably would damage yeah. it. But what the fuck does he care? He wants to know where it goes so he can hang it up properly. Yeah, it's you're right, puts, but like. I don't understand this. Yes. Thing, and I'm not embarrassed about it. Uh-huh. I'm just going to ask where this goes. And I'm not just going to like throw them on the ground or right. whatever. These are your hard work. You've put a lot of work into these yeah. fries and I will not ruin them. It's, it's this Cooper that I made up in my head. Well, but it's true. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's being filtered through this other more low key ver- version. Yeah. So, okay. Okay, so. Then he makes, to me, maybe the most puzzling choice of all time, when he puts the guns in the hot oil of the fryer, so good. which seems dangerous on every imaginable level. <laughs> like, first of all, his hands get so fucking close to that oil, it stresses me out. Yeah. Because he doesn't drop them in, obviously. Well, that would be You know worse. what I would have loved? Put them in the basket? Yes. <laughs> I, that's what I would have done. Yeah. If it were me, I would... Have put them in the basket and dropped the basket. If it was me, I would have like a little mini scene of him like grabbing the fry basket, putting the fry, the new fries in there, like putting salt and pepper, putting them in the window, and then turning around and putting the guns in the fry basket. Like for a second, you think maybe he's just decided to work at this <laughs> diner or like, oh, these fries are burning. I'll help. Anyway, that's some fan fiction for you. God, what boring fan fiction I would write. Yeah, but the the the, the cook is there. And he's just kind of staring. And he's at sort him. of like, hit, I mean, obviously, a gun just went off, so yeah. he's more or less hidden. Um, like I love their reactions. Like this is still Texas. Yeah. Like everyone has a gun. They're not frightened by it. I feel like their reaction, like they're still concerned, but they're also like, oh well, these guys kind of attacked him. He seems to be a authority figure he right. seems to be a cop or a detective or right. something he's, one guy he's in the not foot. he's not threatening us well and he didn't like line the guys up and shoot them point blank sure. and like dispatch them. and he's clearly diffusing a situation mm-hmm. so people are like apprehensive and a little scared but no one's like running out screaming right and i feel like that's accurate for like this feels like the good guy with a gun yeah scenario yeah. everyone wishes for mm-hmm. and Turns that's the good old happening. boys are almost yeah. never the good good guys right um and then he so he drops the guns in the oil and then he he gently suggests i don't i don't know if this oil is hot enough for these bullets to go off but i'd suggest you back away well, and he's, he's just standing like, like, yep, peace the fuck out. Well, he's like standing like looking into the oil with his eyeballs. It looks like a, huh, that might not have been the best idea. <laughs> like, it looks like I just had a, a brief moment of regret. Maybe I should have unloaded these first or That's like, not put the clip in or whatever. Yeah. There were many choices yeah. that he could have made that it, did not he involve. He seems to be questioning all of them. It's great. It's great. It does feel like I got caught up in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> um, and then he leaves. And, and Well, he gets the address from right. the girl. She wrote it down. Right. And he walks out. But, but you know, this ensures that those guys aren't going to chase after him with guns and mm-hmm. whatever. But it's this is a scene where we really get to see who this this version of Cooper is. And he's not the Dale Cooper from season one and two. 
He's not Mr. C. Mm -hmm. He's not Dougie. He's not who... This is an entirely different Cooper slash combination of all of these Coopers. Mm. Oh, that would... The Dougie aspect would explain why he, like, made a weird choice about... doesn't know where this fucking... Yeah, it goes in the slot right in fucking front of you, idiot. Like... Um, That's an interesting... Like, all of those elements make some appearance in this scene. What I think is clever that that Lynch did is that we've seen Agent Cooper in his 50-something-year-old body or however Mm -hmm. old he is. So it... Because if we hadn't had the prior episode uh, or the however many episodes we had with, with Cooper in it... Give me those finger sandwiches. Right. I would say, oh, maybe he just aged out of that sort of like... Sure. Starry-eyed optimist. Yes. Like weird high energy. He trapped in a fucking supernatural place for 25 years. Right. No, no, but I'm saying... But I'm saying like if we saw this scene... (laughs) Yeah. Without seeing the last Cooper, I would say, oh, maybe that's just who Cooper is now. Like Like if this scene started the series... Yes. Or something. I yeah. would say, oh, Cooper just kind of chip mild. He's a little more mild as he got mm. older. Like he's not. He's mm. a little more wo- world weary. He's seen more shit. Yeah. And has lost like some of that energy. Like if this scene opened this show, uh-huh. and we didn't know what happened. Like about is Mister C still out in the world? Is there still a doppel Cooper? Who is? Who is this? The bad guy Cooper? We'd question that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. Well, th- yeah. I don't think I'd question it. Um. So he goes to this waitress's home and he pulls up and lo and behold, another utility pole with a six on it. Mm-hmm. Um, he knocks on the door and... And her lawn is dirt and messy and there's shit yeah, everywhere. A- um, the one thing that stands out though in her yard that I thought was interesting was a, a yellow balloon, which to me is reminiscent of the golden orb. Oh, I was thinking of the one one nine house. They have they've got like the red balloons. Oh, red. Okay. There's there's balloon, but like there's Dougie's house. They have all the balloons from Sunny Jim, and there's that whole house is like golden lit. Yeah. But I just feel like a yellow ball. Yeah. Balloon looks very orb like, which mm-hmm. is seemingly how the entity or idea or concept of Laura Palmer got to this world. Um. So he knocks on the door. And the homeowner resident opens it, and it is, from what we can tell, it's Cheryl Lee. It's it's Cheryl Lee. Thank you. Yeah, she's and she's got a thick Texas accent. Really thick, which which is why I asked. I forgot they're in Texas, and I was like, why does she have an accent? And it's great, but she's it's great. It's a good accent. I I don't know. I mean, it doesn't sound right bullshit to me. It sounds legit. Um, and so. He asks if she's Laura, Laura Palmer, and she's like, I don't know who the fuck you're talking mm-hmm. about. My name is Carrie Page. Um, and he says, uh, or you might actually, I think you're a person I've been looking for. I think your name is Laura I, Palmer. The best delivery in that entire exchange, though, is you're Laura Palmer. Your father was Leland. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like... Whatever, dude. Well, like, especially because Leland is such an odd name. Like, if if I'd never yeah. heard that name and someone was like, your father is Leland. I'm like, lur, lur, lur. Yeah, it's <laughs> just so like, okay. Like, <laughs> wha- all right, whatever. Um, but so he... And, but, and, and it's worth noting, too. When she, when he opens, when she opens the door to him and he starts to introduce himself, she interrupts him 
immediately by saying, did you find him? Yes. And he's like, well, uh, I'm what? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm with the FBI. I'm, you know, uh-huh. so, so you, Oh, and then she kind of shakes it off. Which makes me, my guess, I don't, this does not hold up to, I think, any scrutiny, but is she trying to play dumb and whatever dead guy is in her house, she's like, cops, you have to look for this guy. He's gone. But he's in the house and that's it, why she asked. That, that, I mean, I don't think that holds up to scrutiny, like I said, but like. It could be anything. Like. Yeah, you literally. But I mean, when there's a dead human in your house sure. and your first thing and you say And has been there straight, for a while. Like he's He is full not a fresh mortis. body. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, um, so he says that he thinks she's from Twin Peaks and he'd like to take her back there. And he, he says, Washington, D.C., state. And then later she's like, is that up north? Do I need a coat? <laughs> Which is. Yeah, she, and like, absolutely just jumps on board for like a chance to, as she says, get it. out of Dodge. Which, so even before we and open the house, has seen no the dead- beef, like letting a man, this man who's. An FBI agent right. into her home. So she thinks. With like, a body right. that has a bullet in his head. Uh-huh. There's a fucking submachine gun on the floor. Mm-hmm. And he's, rigmarole, he's been sitting. This didn't just happen. This is days. This yeah. is days. Um, and so she says, okay, which is wild, but whatever. She So she's packing. Cooper walks in, clocks the dead body. Clocks the gun, I assume, and then there's a dead, a dead, a little horse, a little horse figurine, yeah, on the mantle, which of course is where sure we saw all of Laura's pictures mm-hmm. constantly in the Palmer house. Um, and so they drive from Odessa to Twin Peaks, and interestingly, they show it in real time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is and we get to watch all of it, which, which is, is a great. fun, like uh, yeah. It stresses me out to think of driving 1,700 miles in dead fucking silence with a stranger. I mean, she talks a little bit. But but they make a point to show... He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. They drive in silence for a long yeah. time. Even, there is no Even when she asks, we... like, a specific... Is someone following us? He just doesn't respond. And were they? Well, I don't know. I don't know either. I, I think there's a statement to be made, though, in this episode that I... That I put on my my you know reading of it is all of these long drives in this episode are telling you are are, are a note from the director saying don't forget this show and everything you love about this show is the journey. Huh. What's important isn't where we're going. It isn't what's answered. It isn't what it, what we get to. This show is about the journey and taking the ride. This show is a ride. This show is going to create all these mysteries and whatever. Live in those moments. Those moments are important. Right. And, and I think he's trying to remind you that this is a show that's about the journey, not about answering all your questions and getting to an end. Oh, which is ironic because the drive is not... I think you could be... I, I want to think you're right. I think it's a really bright... Uh, a connection to make but I think it's ironic with the fact that like the driving scenes are boring it's not mm-hmm. like a road trip movie where like it's a montage and you see them like playing road trip games and like well, because but the, because that's, the world a, but that's an event like that's the point is that it isn't about but I'm saying but that is the journey the journey is 
you know, if you go on a road trip, half of the journey is the actual trip itself and part of it is the destination. But like the point is the road, the driving part of the road trip is supposed to be fun and like mm-hmm. you see weird things and oh, look at that thing. And to me, that would be a better metaphor for what you're saying of like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to solve the problem, but we're going to have fun along but, the way. But, but then we it, didn't have fun But then it the doesn't way. stand out. The whole, the whole point is that the journey car ride scenes need to stand out in order to be a point. Otherwise, you just wouldn't have noticed it and wouldn't have made that correlation that like, oh, he's trying mm-hmm. to tell us something. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know what I mean? If it if it if it's fun and enjoyable, mm-hmm. that's part of it, and 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 we know that that's the whole show. The the show is full of that. It needs to be jarring. It needs to be different in order to stand out, in order to realize that there's a message to be received there. Right. Um. So they arrive at Twin Peaks and. Cooper is immediately asking, like, does this look familiar? Does this street mean anything to you? No, 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 no. They do pull around the corner at the double R, though, and neither of them acknowledge it in any way. Oh, I missed that. Really? Yeah, they, big, big wide shot uh-huh. of the double R, and they make a left turn right in front of it. Hmm. It's closed. This is like the middle of the night, oh. presumably. But we also saw earlier in the episode the middle of the fucking night and the double r was bumping yeah early in the season sorry, the yeah yeah in that in that one where it seems to shift well and what time would it be what time would you go to somebody's house knock on the door and find them fully dressed mm-hmm. and also the double r is but closed. he still warns her that sorry to bother you so late right but but to me but that the reads double like, r is closed that reads like 9 30 10 o'clock exactly what i was thinking it was 9 or 9 30 the double r is still open at 9 30 10 o'clock yeah. they're they're open till at least 10 o'clock. Yeah. Be- yes. Yes. Correct. So why is the double R closed? Are we... I don't know. That's... But but I feel like there's a statement being made there as well. What is it? I don't, I don't know. Michael, uh, they're the ones supposed to know things. Um, so they pull up at the Palmer house, knock on the door, takes... I mean, a- yeah, it takes a minute of, do you recognize this? And yeah. She's, she actually looks for... She clearly nope. is making an earnest she's, effort to... But she doesn't... Like, that's what's interesting, and she does really well, because like, Shirley's an incredible actress. But she has these looks of, like... She's really making an earnest effort to try and understand, but also, like, I don't know why I'm trying to play along. Right. Something is making me do this. Like, I don't care. Right. Like, what? No, I don't know this fucking place. Like, she's clearly, like... She presumably killed a man in her house. Right. Like... She's not someone who's like worried about hurting feelings. Yeah, or something. Like she doesn't like She's why like, is she playing along with all of this? Why would she get in a car with a stranger right. and drive for two thousand miles? It's, it's wild. Yeah. Um so uh so they knock on the door and then a, a woman answers. A woman in her sixties probably. Fifties? Yeah, I would say fifties. Fifties. Um Cooper asks if Sarah Palmer is in and she says nobody lives here by that name and then this very long back and forth of do you know who you bought this house from? Mm -hmm. No. Checks with her husband who's off screen. Presumably her husband or her partner or whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, You know, who'd you buy this house from? She asks her husband. Oh, it was Mrs. Shelfont. Mm -hmm. Do you know who who she bought the house from? No. Okay. Um, 
The woman identifies herself as Alice Tremond, who Mm -hmm. that name is from. And the Chalfonts is the name of the people who rented the camper at the Fat Trout Trailer Park that disappeared at the beginning of Fire Walk With Me. So the Chalfonts and the Tremonts are connected. Okay. And the Tremonts... The Tremonts are from Garmin Bozia, right? Isn't it Mrs. That, Tremont? That was, that was who they... Yeah, they were... She went to visit Mrs. Tremont. Um, she and being... Was, Laura. Or Laura. Um, Diane. Not Diane. Uh, God damn it. I, I wanted to say Laura from Boyle, but uh, Donna. Donna. Donna goes to visit the Tremonts for the Meals on Wheels, and mm-hmm. it was this old lady, and then when they went back again, it was a different person. Yeah. So the Tremonts were not supposed to be there. Like... Tremond is an entity. Tremond is 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 the, the Tremond the one? It's the old woman, and do yeah. you see corn on this plate? Do yeah. you see corn on this plate? Yeah. And there's that little boy, right? Yeah, that David Lynch Jr. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so obviously neither of those people is this woman, right? Not obviously, I suppose. The boy could have been trans, but that's probably not it. I, so is this off-camera person? That little boy? Am uh-huh. I asking a question that needs an answer? Not really. No, it's not a particularly we just, interesting. We know, we know the name Tremond and we know the name Chalfont is being... I see them as almost like exploratory entities. Okay, like, I'm listening. Like they tend to go to like scope out locations because they were like they the Chalfons rented that camper at Fire Walk with me, which is where shit went down. And then and um, Dale Cooper went looking for Chet Desmond, who disappeared, trying to grab the ring from there. Um, like I like I feel like they go looking for like the best locations to for Judy to live. Their or dirty this, deeds. Yeah, exactly. Their fiendish deeds. Um. So Cooper and Carrie slash whomever. Oh, we and so that was another. We didn't acknowledge that. Like her, she had introduced herself as Carrie Page. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, the Cheryl Lee, Laura Palmer looking character, um, which a lot of people have drawn note to. They found the missing pages from the diary, and <laughs> they said, "Oh, but there's missing pages. Yeah, but there's still one page missing." is something that Michael Horse or, or um, Hawk mentions at some point. There's still one page missing. Huh. And to name her page is an interesting choice. That is interesting. I wouldn't um, Also, Beverly, who is the Ashley Judd character, uh-huh. her last name is Page. Huh. Uh, different spelling. P-A-I-G-E versus P-A-G-E. Hmm. If you look at the credits. Um, which is worth noting like he loves duplicating names that's that's been a through line through all of this but i don't know it's worth noting i i just like that correlation i don't know that it means anything but like is when he mentions the missing page is this the missing page that's very interesting um doesn't really like when you break it down it doesn't really make any sense but it's just no, an interesting concept. I, again, like, I feel like a oh, lot of the ethereal things... concept. Yeah, a lot of these things that we think of, like, they're sort of neat concepts, but the second you try to put words to sure. them, they just dissolve. And that's, and that's exactly it. It's like, like explaining a dream. This is, this is... And when Lynch talks about, like, 
words are limiting. It's because he wants to make movies entirely in that space. Right. Where as soon as you start to break it down rationally, it doesn't work. Right. But you just, I want to just throw this out there. These ideas, ooh, this feels like it intersects with this. Cool, let's get there. And it, it just, it doesn't have to be linear. It doesn't have to be grounded in reality. Right. That's the beauty of art. And right. I think that's what he's doing. So like, ooh, there's a missing page and now we got a carry page mm-hmm. and it's Laura Palmer. Oh man. Yeah. That's cool. Like that's it. That's, that's yeah. just a cool thing to piece together mm-hmm. that is an interesting yeah, it's thing. Like, yeah, it's like putting a little puzzle together. Yeah. Of like, oh, look at that's a picture of a horse. Like I don't know how it fits into everything else, but like I identified a thing. Sure. Like I built a thing together. Um, So uh, Cooper and Carrie walk away they walk they get back to the street and they're both confused yeah, they're Coop, both they, yeah they se- they've been holding hands yeah Cooper, they separate she starts walking to the car but stops to turn around and all of a sudden cooper does this cooper's like hunched over a mm-hmm. little bit and like really perplexed like he re- like something in his compass his his true north everything was saying bring this person to this place and uh. Everything, Everything will be okay. We don't know what's wrong. Uh-huh. I don't know what he's trying to solve. Why he thinks he needs to bring her home. It's a very save the cheerle- cheerleader, save the world thing. Of yeah. like, okay, I know I have a mission. And I don't understand how it. But I'm going with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I trust whatever instinct or voice and then, is. And then he realizes like, oh, maybe I'm not at the right time. Maybe I brought her at the wrong time or something. Oh, is that what you That's think? That's kind of how, how I took it. Oh, I thought it was more like, uh, to me, it felt like he was kind of waking up from a fugue state and sure. all of a sudden is like, sure. wait a second, like where well, you, but, am I? What yeah. year is this? Like yeah. that sort of, when you wake up out of an extremely deep sleep, especially if you're like in a hotel or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. and you had that moment of like, where the fuck am I right now? Mm-hmm. Like, this is not, this is not my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um. That's kind of what I recognized of like that sort of that moment when you first wake up and you just have no context for anything. Yeah. Um, so he asks what year it is. And then all of a sudden, Carrie. Yeah, she, and she kind of looks around and kind of takes in her environment herself. And doesn't seem especially bothered by that question. Which if I was. if I doesn't been, answer it. Doesn't, doesn't even answer attempt to it. answer if it. If I'd been driving with somebody for two days or whatever and all of a sudden they asked what year it was, I'd be like, well, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm walking like back she, to Odessa. She knows something is supposed to be happening also. Yeah. it. Does, I mean, it, what they're experiencing is what we, the audience, are experiencing of like, okay, this is it. This is the end of the literal and metaphorical road. Yeah. Here we go. Here's what we've waited There's 25 years for. There's literally a dead end sign behind him too. Like in that Jesus. street. Yeah. When he says that it's and he a turns. a little on the nose. There's David a dead Lynch. end. It's, it's blurry. It's not in focus and whatever, but. She lives at the end of a street, and there's a dead end sign there. Yeah. Um. So Laura is kind of obvious, or whomever, um, uh, carrier whomever is kind of looking around, similarly in a sort of fugue mm-hmm. state, and all of a sudden just starts. Well, oh. it's triggered by an audio cue. Oh yes, thank you. I missed you that. You hear, side. you hear Grace Zabriskie, who played Sarah, Sarah Palmer, Palmer, say Laura. In the same way, I think it's the exact same, either she just does it the same or whatever, or it's the exact same audio from the pilot, from the pilot when 
she oh when she wakes up first thing in the morning and is looking yeah for when, her? like so in the pilot when um um sarah palmer's like cleaning up breakfast and she's like laura you better come down you're gonna be late for school she's laura laura she like calls her a few times and then like goes trudging up the stairs like god damn it she won't wake up and then realizes she's not there it's the same i think it's the same audio from that or she did it again and we just know it because it's her voice but it's a very particular like laura like it's i'm looking for you laura from sarah palmer i'll i'm gonna drop in right here um both okay audio so i'm so here's the audio from the pilot laura and here's the audio from the finale It's the second one is definitely, you know, the finale is definitely like, it's I like, mean, it's, it's, if nothing else, it's modified. There's yeah, post effects on it yeah. and stuff, but she seems to react to that and then just belts out this it's scream horrible and just scream. like, you see her face terror and anguish. And as she does that, all the lights, all the and, lights explode. Yeah. Um, in the same way, the lights explode when Dougie puts a, mm-hmm fork in a socket the same way the lights go off when Charlene Yee is crawling over the floor at the end of that one episode in the roadhouse and she starts screaming yes there's yes, 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 yes. this scream and then so Janie E screams when Dougie puts the light in the socket like there's something about this electricity and screaming uh-huh. that is a powerful moment and a moment of some kind of transformation mm-hmm. or something is happening and then we get 10 or 12 seconds of black. Mm-hmm. And then we... To the point of like, is this the end? Or right. are we starting a new act? Was this a full hour at the episode? I think so. Yeah. Did not feel it. I mean, 25 minutes of it is driving. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's like 56 minutes or 7 minutes. Okay, so it's not like, like a 42 minute right, episode. It's, it's just shy Because it felt yeah. short. Um, And then it's... Yeah, we get, well, we get Laura close, a very, the closest we've seen it of Laura. Her hand is almost full frame. You see most of her face and most of Cooper's face. She's whispering in his ear again. Mm -hmm. And Cooper looks horrified. And it's slow motion. It's, yeah, it's a little bit slow motion. It's a little bit undersaturated. Mm -hmm. And so whatever she's telling him is not good news. Right. Starring Calvin McLaughlin. Yeah. And then, yeah, credits roll and I don't know. And that's the end. Yeah. So we've peed. Our wine is topped off. What happened in this episode? Okay, let's talk about like your personal pet theory. If gun to your head, what do you think either, and I want to give some fle- some wiggle room in this, either what in your headcanon what it is even though maybe it doesn't necessarily play out if you like sure if you pull on it too much or what you think David Lynch meant for it to mean which I don't think are necessarily the same and and I think the second one is unknowable even by David Lynch because you said something when this first came out that stuck with me but I want to hear if that's do I yeah I I don't want to say it until you I'm curious I'd like you to give me a hint of some kind because I I go back like 
So the I'm w- constantly throwing th- like spaghetti at a wall trying to see sure. what sticks, and I don't have anything strong yet. Okay, so what I remember you telling me, and I assume this was like in 2017 when it sure. came out, or or around the time we went to Twin Peaks Fest or whatever, is that Cooper is sort of in a Sisyphusian hell mm-hmm. where he has to continuously try to save this person over and over and can never succeed mm-hmm. and so it's sort of he's living in a time loop and yeah. I, I don't know what you said and I don't really have a strong opinion about sure. whether that time loop is just in 2017 like in the in the series that sure. we see this time or if it's after this scene it goes straight back to Diane I'm entering the town in Twin Peaks sure sure yeah I don't know I think I think there's the yeah a, a tragic hero's journey in this where he's constantly trying to do something he can't I think that I think the problem I think these two characters Laura Palmer and Dale Cooper are at odds oh because he's constantly trying to save her she doesn't want to be saved but the idea the definition of being saved differs. So by him saving her is to try to undo her death, try to make her alive, try to whatever. But the way she knows how to save, the only way she can properly save herself is to allow herself to be killed. So like, like that, this goes back to the end of fire walk with me, which I said is a very happy ending shrouded in darkness or whatever mm-hmm, and i completely disagree i i think it's bob wanted in bob wanted in bob wanted in and she realized there's no other way for me to stop him but if i let my father kill me bob can't get me mm-hmm. and if bob can't get me that's a win yeah and she does that and then and then we go back to similar to the end of fire walk with me in this end of this we go to the red room for a credit sequence which is her smiling and beaming at the end of fire walk with me and she gets her angel her angel comes down mm-hmm. i i get to i get to exist in this other plane mm-hmm. but i'm happy which is a thing i've never had so you were and i think this so he in his efforts to try to save her instead of just inst- it's 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 like this balance of like accountability and justice and whatever. He's trying instead of trying to just solve this murder and do right by the loved ones who cared for her and give them an answer so that they can move on with their grief. Uh-huh. He's trying to undo the grief, uh-huh. and you can't. And I think that's a tragic flaw in Dale Cooper's character. And so when he gets, so he keeps trying to bring her back home because oh, I want you to have this I- idyllic life of you oh this you know the teenage girl from a very uh, and i want to i want to bring you back to that i want to bring you back to that but that was never a safe place for her and so to bring her back there is terrible Mm -hmm. and i think she got out so bringing her back he's reminding this other and version of laura Mm -hmm. about this trauma and he keeps i don't know like, I think he keeps trying to bring her back because that's his idea of savior. 
but the way she can be saved is to recognize like like they you know a lot of psychiatrists and whatever will talk about that the best way to move forward and to help yourself in instances of grief or trauma or tragedy all these things you first you have to acknowledge it mm-hmm. acknowledge what happened and move forward from there well yeah and that's like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, sure. therapy is like sitting in that. And, yeah, and, and I think and PTSD treatments are like that. Too. I think that's what happens at the end of Fire Walk with me, and I think that's what happens. I think Laura or Carrie hearing Laura and brought her back. All of that trauma came flooding back, and now she's trapped there again. So you think Carrie and Laura are the same entity? Yes. I think Carrie is a version of Laura the same way this version of Cooper is a version of Cooper. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cooper, mm-hmm. Dale Cooper, Laura Palmer aren't necessarily physical people in the in the way that we know physical people because we live in a world of reality. Sure, which is wildly inconvenient. Right. I think there's an idea of Laura and an idea of Dale Cooper. I don't know. And see, and once I start talking and once I start explaining it, I start getting off the wheels and I lose track and I lose what I'm it's saying. It's exactly but, like trying to explain a dream because sure. you're like, here's this concept and then this thing, but I cannot remember mm-hmm. how those connected. Yeah. And I'm, I pulled up, because you mentioned the hero, like the hero's journey. And I just pulled up like the prototypical hero's journey in terms of like the steps that mm-hmm. every hero's journey takes. And I don't think I was going to see if like I I wanted to read through it and see if Cooper and or Laura apply to that. But I don't think they do. Well, it's a tragic story. Like it's like Sisyphus, like you said, like it's he's going to keep trying and he'll never succeed. Right. And I think that's what she's telling him at the very, very end in the credits. Yeah. Is you can't. You have to let me go. Mm -hmm. Like the way. She realized the only way to save Laura, mm-hmm. like for at the end of Fire Walk with Me, the only way for Laura to save Laura is to let Laura go. Mm-hmm. Cooper doesn't know that. And I think. And you think that he's learning that over the credits? I, th- I think as the credits go, she's telling him, you're going to bring me back and every fucking time you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. And she's telling him, you need to live in that. Acknowledge it and move forward from there. Like, I think she's trying to get him to come to terms with. Yeah, I think it's a good metaphor for grief. Yeah. Of Yeah, I, I think you're, you've hit on some very, very strong points. One of them is he's not trying to help anybody heal from grief. He's trying to prevent anyone from experiencing grief, which right. isn't how life works. Right. And, and notoriously, Lynch is a proponent of... Dwell in the, the evil. Dwell in the bad. Live in those moments. That's part of life. That's how you see the and light. Then, yeah, and then you can see the brightness. You can see the positivity in the world because you've experienced the bad. Like, there's nothing... Like, you see, you know, tweets and stuff all the time about, like, normalize being sad in public. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, also normalize allowing people to be sad. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the problem isn't being sad in public the problem is people won't let like well people are very uncomfortable when yeah you and so grief. instead of okay you're sad about something 
I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to sit in there with you for right now. I'm going to put my arm around you or whatever. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's wait this out together yeah. and know that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, it's let's go get drinks. Let's cheer you up. Yeah. And all that's doing is pretending that's not happening. Let's get you another puppy. Right. <laughs> like, and yeah. that's all that's, yeah, all that's doing is pretending that that's not happening. Yeah. And it, it's, avo- it's avoidance. Yeah. And that's what Cooper is doing over and over and over again is he's trying all these different methods to undo what happened literally by traveling through time to mm-hmm. try to undo what happened. But what he doesn't undo, it's not like he goes back and tries to undo Leland and Sarah's abuse. He tries to undo her death. And that's it. Yes. And that's yes. that's all you're all you're doing is solving a problem. You're not yes, undoing I'm it. So into this theory because that's exactly right. He is seeing her death as the ultimate tragedy, but what was really the tragedy is her life. Is her that, life was ultimately horrible and yeah. tragic and short. And she lived in this every day over and over and over again. That's all she ever experienced. But what he sees as the tragedy is that she died because he's a cop. And that's yeah. what cops do. They don't know how to prevent shit. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to stop shit from happening. How many stories do you hear about people calling in like, hey, this guy's stalking me. He, he drives by here every day. What the fuck do you want me to do about it? they're like, oh, sorry, I can't do it. And then that yeah, fucking- Stalking wasn't a crime until like the and, 90s. And then that motherfucker kills them and they're like, oh, that's a bummer. Oh God, there's a story like, all the time. that came up that like time. a woman was murdered by a man and she'd called the cops on him like three times. And they're like- Oh, I mean, and that's, uh, you care, cops, yeah, like- there was I, there, there's actually one in Laura's ghost book. It's it's hard to read. Yeah. Um. But it's about a girl who's called. You know, called. She had a restraining order. Called. It's a friend writing a story about her friend who died, who was murdered by her ex boyfriend, and it's it, absolutely brutal. But like, she called several times. Called the police. Called the police. She kept trying to re-up her restraining order, but it was like a million fucking hoops to jump mm-hmm. through to do it. So she just didn't. Mm-hmm. And then he killed her. Mm-hmm. He just broke into her house one day and fucking killed her. Like she knew he was Like exactly what she was saying was going to happen. And the cops didn't give a fuck because I'd, cops aren't there I'd to like prevent to anything. Yeah. They, They're there to clean up the mess. Exactly. And, or and, or and in the, shoot you in the fucking head. And in the laziest way possible. Yes. Like clean up the mess by like, let's get this off my fucking checklist of things I need to do. Uh, paperwork. Yeah. Or- and that's and that's the problem. And I think, I think there's a statement on Dale Cooper as a character and a statement on police in general. But I think he is a, he, he is our hero I think it's it's this whole ending is like a realignment of who this show is about. Like we watched oh, okay. the first two seasons, and this was Laura's in it, and she's important and whatever. But like we're watching Cooper's story, you know, he's our he's our main character. We're watching Cooper, and this is reshifting that that like this isn't about Cooper. Mm-hmm. We well, said it literally earlier in the episode because all the important things get said at some point. Laura is the one. This is about Laura and her. She's the hero and she's coming to terms. And she saved herself at the end of Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. And we still had to fucking go back. Yeah. Because we keep trying to bring her back into this trunk. Like, it's it's like 
it's like someone who escapes from trauma too and they the cops keep pulling can you can you explain what this happened and then the lawyers are coming in and can you explain this it's like are you sure you weren't confused about what no shit and you're just you're just piling it all on Mm -hmm. let this girl be free Mm -hmm. she got out once and she was and it's yeah i think it's it's a statement on our desire to keep bringing people back into that shit i don't know uh i would tweak it's our desire to bring people back in and i would say it's our desire whether it's the audience or whether it's cops or whether it's jill cooper specifically of making things right and sometimes they're just not right and you don't and what is right? Some things what are not, is right? Well, some things are not fixable. Sure. Like if you're if you're in a relationship with an abuser, even if you like go to therapy and things like that, like there is a certain amount of trust that has been broken that you can't mm-hmm. just switch flip a switch right. and oh everything's okay because he saw the light or she. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's um. But yeah, and 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 so much of this is like I go back and forth on every viewing. It's a little different. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not, like this is the first time the idea of all the police being bad at their job yep. has come into play because we're realizing that like, oh, systemat- systemically fucking the police are bad at their jobs. Yes. Like. And at least they're expensive. <laughs> but like. <laughs> they this need is, This was one of the great cops that we knew and loved. And now it's like, oh, maybe he's not. Yeah. Like, And I think we're all having that kind of discussion around cops everything tv specifically like yeah. mikey and i love brooklyn 99 we're in the middle of a rewatch but like there's a shade of discomfort over it mm-hmm. when you and like god i listened to so much true crime and i was just talking to a group of friends of mine because i was re oh i was watching that doc about john Wayne gacy and i was texting them like is there a famous serial killer story that the alpha and the omega of the story wasn't just police are utterly incompetent. <laughs> incompetent at best, malicious at worst. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And especially when you see like the Richard Ramirez stuff, the Golden State Killer, where like they um, famously um, Ted Bundy took advantage of the fact that like up until like the 90s, cop departments didn't talk to each other because they're like, not I even, want to win the case. Yeah, not like, even didn't talk to each other, like act- actively try to sabotage another department's yeah. Yeah. case because this is mine and I, I'm going to be... Because Which, cause the problem too was like, that's how you moved up in the ranks. Seven case. You solve a big case, you get a promotion. Mm-hmm. Like you're... Like, so you're saying it comes down to capitalism? It, that's exactly it. Yep. Like. And it's like, that's why I, that's part of the things I, it's something I've always loved about Hitchcock is he's got themes and motifs that run through most of his movie. It's the wrongly accused man is always prominent. His use of stairs is, is very common and frequent. And the other thing that's always true in a great deal of Hitchcock movies is that cops are absolutely worthless. Like mm-hmm. that's a free, which is it's why most realistic part of it, Hitchcock which movies. is the, why the wrong man always has to do all the fucking police work himself is because the cops literally, like they literally walk in and they're like making fun of you for mm-hmm. filing a claim or right. whatever. And you're like, hey, yeah, no, my sister was murdered. <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> like she do. What yeah. She yeah. It, whatever. But that's a thing that I've always loved about Hitchcock is his like absolutely just loathes the police. Wait, you haven't always... I don't think either of us was ever like, 
super back the blue pro cop, but like, have you always been kind of anti cop in that way, or do you think it was? Did you always just think it was an interesting device for Hitchcock? For like, Hitchcock. I yes, but I've always been pretty. I I have a weird relationship because a my stepmom has four brothers who are all police. That's right. Um, but I also like like black gr- people. Granted, <laughs> I yeah, I'm not I'm not a black person, so I don't deal with those things personally. But you've had I was a skateboarder. Yeah, which not the same. Very, but- very, very, very much want to make it clear that those things are not. The same thing, but the fact that like I had a car with a bunch of fucking stickers on the back and mm. shit like that, um, I got and I dressed like a little punk skater kid. Mm-hmm. I got pulled over all the time for shit like that, and like I've done stone cold sober, done field sobriety tests three times. Yeah, that's I've never not done any. I should yeah, I shouldn't have to do that, and it's because. I was driving at two in the morning or whatever because I'm coming home from like, like at times when it was like, dude, I just want to be home. I, yeah. And like, yeah. I'm not causing a ruckus. I just, yeah, literally like it was, trying to get back to her. I got pulled over for apparently making a left turn too sharp is a thing. I don't like just the dumbest shit. And then they keep me and then they're like, why is this? Uh, how come this is so low? And you're because I wasn't fucking drinking. Yeah. Like it's how it's, come this is so low? They yeah, not really like say like it. they're trying to throw it. And and I remember in high school there was one time me and a few of my friends who you all know we all we went to uh, a show. We were living in the suburbs, but we went to a show in the city. When you got a flat? Yeah, I went to go see Rancid. Um, Dope. It was yeah, it was a great fucking show. And we're driving home, and on we were turning onto the ramp and hit uh, to get onto Lakeshore Drive, hit a pothole, blew a tire, so we're pulled over. So it was the city's fault that you, you exactly. blew a tire. And literally, so we get, so we're pulled over onto the side of the ramp and we're changing the tire because we're, I mean, we're 17, 18 years old or whatever, but we're capable, yeah. you know, we're humans and it's dark and whatever. And we didn't have cell phones. So we didn't have like flashlights, but we're changing it the best we can. Cop pulls like big lighters. Yeah, cop pulls up behind us. And you're in Lakeshore, right? It, we we're up trying to get onto Lakeshore. So still technically the ramp on Lawrence. From Lawrence oh, okay, 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 okay. to Lakeshore. That like off ramp so thing. Say, Lakeshore has very narrow um shoulders. Right, yeah. Too. So we're so not that's... actually we didn't get on Lakeshore yet. We're off onto the the ramp that goes from Lawrence to Lakeshore. Um and we're pulled over and they pulled over and they're like whipping the light back and forth like turning a thing so that the, the light is like making it harder to see oh they were doing that on purpose oh yeah they were pushing us on like kicking us with their feet on the back so we as we're crouched trying to undo the thing we were like tipping over and we're like either get the fuck out of here or help us yeah you have one and they were literally just fucking with us because they thought it was funny because we we're a bunch of kids like it was i was like wh- like what oh you guys are we're like we're 17 18 year old kids see a punk into show. this yeah in the city to watch a show the show just ended we're driving fucking home mm-hmm. we didn't want to have to deal with a fucking flat tire but we got to deal with that now too and this was not part of the plan. and then you're literally like push like not kicking us but like pushing us over with our foot while we're like in catcher squat trying to yeah, do the like thing so, so you keep to having to like, to like piss me yeah, off to like you keep putting your your hand down to like try to balance yourself and we're like what the fuck, man? And like, it's shit like that that has been my only experience with police. 
has been shit like that. It's either specifically intentionally fucking with me just because they think it's funny Mm -hmm. or even like when we lived in the city and we had our apartment and someone came into our apartment, Mm. stole shit of yours. We filed a police report Mm -hmm. and the guy was just like on the day of our engagement party, by the way. (coughs) And the guy, the guy was just like fucking with us. Like just wow, we're, we're, did like, not give a shit. Like, and we're like, oh well. I mean, is there anything that happens? Do we follow up? And he's like, you can call if you want, but no one's looking into anything. Like it was just like, why the fuck? Get, then get the fuck out of my house. Yeah. Then just get say the fuck not, out of my house. Then just say we're not coming. Yeah, like I just, it's it's just such bullshit. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that is obviously becoming more and more and more and more prominent and in front of more eyes, and right. that's a view that I've been viewing everything through lately more so than I even had when I was a kid mm-hmm. that it's hard not to now I'm seeing, you know, no, that's playing into my view on this. And that's, what's beautiful about this show mm-hmm. is that the times and what's happening and the lens you're viewing it through can change it. And it still works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite things about, you know, the reason I was a lit major and the reason I like doing both doing and listening to things like this is to me, one of the most interesting things about art is using different lenses. Mm-hmm. And that would like, I, I had a, and not specific camera lenses. Like, no, 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 like no, 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 Your, your mental, personal viewpoints. Emotional yeah. lenses. Cause I, I had a, um, a lit class, my, I don't know, sophomore, junior at Ball State. And like, that's, all we did is like, okay, we're going to read this, pick a thing and pick a lens and write an essay about reading X through Y lens. So the one I wrote was, um, I wrote it about, um, fuck with uh, Alice in Wonderland through an autobiographical lens of Lewis Carroll, who was mm. a world-class creep <laughs> okay. and wrote Alice in Wonderland because he was in love with a little an eight-year-old girl and sure. he has many 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 <laughs> pictures of her and her younger brother but fewer of him for some reason um and so i wrote this essay about like how his inherent probably pedophilia uh, latched onto what this story mm-hmm. was and to me that like makes all art so much more interesting of like because like for me it's almost always like a feminist lens right mm-hmm. of like okay this <laughs> every show or movie or whatever I watch is like okay so this is about toxic masculinity let's back up and see how it fits and what I think and I've tried to shy away from this myself as I've gotten older and in the last several years in particular but like I think Viewing things through a different lens is very important. Mm -hmm. Playing devil's advocate is actively harmful. Correct. And they, it's, those two things seem like they can overlap. But the difference being all playing devil's advocate does is give legitimate grounding to bad faith arguments. Correct. Viewing through another lens is allowing yourself to see something through another person's eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. But making an argument based on it just by being like, let me just play the opposite just in case. Which, it's just building up bad faith argument. Which I, I, I 100% agree. I don't think that like all devil's advocates are necessarily bad. Like if you and I are having a good faith conversation about a thing and you're like, I think it's this. 
about a piece of art or something that's like not harmful to somebody. <laughs> not civil rights. And not the civil lack rights. Not human rights. Yeah. It's our what like I, I I think the devil's advocate thing can be an interesting uh, uh mental exercise. Mm-hmm. But well, it's the it, idea. Th- but that, like, that 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 I think relies on the fact that you're talking to somebody who we're both aware what we're doing. We're both sure. like having a, an intellectual exercise. That's I think this. Well, what if I said this? And like can't because I think it's important to test your own sure not theories but your own sure. philosophies. But just just for doing just for the sake of doing. But it, if I'm a woman on the internet and I say, hey, I think bodily autonomy is important, and people are like. Well, but say I'm this, and like whether and ninety percent of the time that I feel like you see those things, it's someone who believes that, and then they're hiding behind the of idea of playing devil's advocate. Of course, yes, because people are monsters. Yeah. Um, okay, sorry. Wow, that was a world class tangent. Um, so Anna, do you have a do you, do you feel like you've ever settled into? I think this is what he was trying to say, or I think this is the story he was trying to tell, or do you, or do you think? I mean. Do you believe in objectivity in art? Is that a thing? We, I mean, we've talked about this a million times. I, I always bring up that moth dance, the light bulb yeah, dance from Zayden yeah. Can Dance. Um, I think there's something about objective intent. Mm-hmm. But I think Lynch is someone who famously says, if you get something totally right. different out of it and it works for you, mm-hmm. I'm glad I gave you that. Mm-hmm. I... I I th- and I think that's I think he d- like he doesn't do shit we- weird shit for the sake of weird shit yes he doesn't do that yes every single th- frame of everything that he's put out is meticulous and thought about and on purpose mm-hmm. I think that's yet I mean not necessarily th- like he's also willing to go with things like so he's a little freeform like that too mm-hmm. but I think he, he it has to match his like the bones of it have to yeah he he he's not like you know particular in the way you know oh this oh it's got to be a degree lower or you know he's not necessarily that i don't think but um i think yeah what i come back to is the the sesophist style Cooper is always going to fail until he realizes he's only going to fail and mm-hmm. changes his course, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if we ever see. We might see that at the end. That might be what Laura's telling him. But I think in your question of the the Lynch approach is I think Lynch's intent was to refocus our whose, whose story we're telling. It was to to shift our focus from being about Cooper to being about Laura. Uh-huh. I because it was always supposed to be about Laura. I don't think people had that reaction. So I think he's it, this whole thing has kind of been a and, and the fact that like to him he's always been in love with the idea of Laura Palmer. David Lynch has, uh-huh. and I think. That's what the whole series was supposed to be about. It never really happened. People fell in love with Cooper and all Mm -hmm. this, and it became about him and the town and the quirkiness and the donuts and all that's important, but it's not at the real heart. Because the heart, because the thing is like, he always, like, he wanted to show the reaction Mm -hmm. of this isn't just a dead girl. 
Right. This is a person who was alive and had thoughts and dreams and feelings and hopes and whatever. And how that ripple affects, mm-hmm. affects this entire town. Meaning Laura was always at the heart of things. Mm-hmm. The show got away from that. And I think Fire Walk With Me was an attempt to course correct and make it about Laura. And critically, everybody hated Fire Walk With Me. It was an absolute failure out the gate. I think... I think people have come around to it. People have come around. And I think people weren't ready for it because he really, really puts incest, rape, sexual abuse, assault, Mm -hmm. front and fucking center Mm -hmm. and just beats you over the head with the trauma of Sit it all. with it. Yeah. Deal with this shit. Mm-hmm. It's happening. This is like, yeah, you guys love fucking coffee and donuts and cherry pie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's all great. But do you know why you got all that? Because of this fucking girl. Right. And what happened to her. And this is her fucking story. Live with it. She died so we can live. And yeah. And everybody was, oh, oh, you know, this, this is just, oh, I didn't like it. It was too much. It was too weird and whatever. And I think this is, again, another opportunity to refocus. Mm -hmm. This is about fucking Laura Mm -hmm. and what Laura is. And regardless of what form she takes, Laura is representative of all of these voiceless people who've been living these, you know, in trauma and fear Mm -hmm. and pain and agony and all these things. So even if she looks like Carrie Page, Mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. Looks like that? Who cares? It's not. It's about her mm-hmm. Laura is an idea and this has always been at the heart of Twin Peaks and he's redirecting you and trying to force you to look at it mm-hmm. and if you don't you're gonna fail like Cooper mm-hmm. yeah I um I was recently listening to an episode of the Flophouse which is a bad movie podcast that I really like and they were talking about are there any good prequels and one of the hosts posited that Firewalk with me is one of the few very good prequels mm. because they're just almost always bad. Well, and There's they some. Well, think... they made it. It's a short episode. I'll, I'll send it over to you. But they made the point of like the the uh, the fundamental problem with prequels is you know how it's going to end, yeah. and so everything that happens has to end at a certain point. Yeah. And like, sure, you can do interesting things to like make the story, but like, there's no way you're going to be. Yeah. You know how it's going to end. Yeah. You know what's going to happen next. So it that's sort of why, takes that's away some why, mistakes. Yeah, Fire Walk With Me is good is because it was, we know how it's going to end, but we don't know how, ne- how. We never met this person. We never actually met Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. So let's meet her. Yeah, we know her through her friends. We know her through her diary. Yeah. And that's it. So what about you? I mean, that's, you asked me my overarching thoughts and then we went off for half an hour or whatever, <laughs> but. um, I, I think. I think that I I think that Twin Peaks is fundamentally a story that's about grief mm-hmm. and how we either move on or don't move on from our grief and how it affects everybody differently. And I think that's the story that Lynch wanted to tell, right, of... You know, we, and I guess cards on the table, we watched the first 20 minutes or so of that Twin Peaks solved for our uh, yeah. whatever thing. I'll link to and it in I've, the notes. I've watched, I've, I've watched that whole thing. I'm curious. To, I'm curious to watch it. Um, And, and I didn't want to watch the whole thing before this because I, I didn't really want mm-hmm. my opinions to be tainted. Mm-hmm. But I, I find it hard to 
back off from the idea that the the uh, the genesis of Twin Peaks was Lynch was sick of seeing like a murder a week type shows mm-hmm. because people, you know, you get over the death of your husband in a conversation. Yeah, in in forty two minutes. Yeah. Um. Again, yeah, everything solved in forty two minutes. So and and solving it meant everybody feels every, better. Everything is okay. Everything's fine. It fixed it. Move right. on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also part of the, the kind of, you know, this, this week that we're recording this is when the George Floyd case just came back guilty and there's a lot of talk right now. So I think may, as much as that video influenced me, probably more likely this week influenced mm-hmm. me of, yeah, we got a conclusion and the right conclusion happened, right? Like he, Derek, what's his fucking name? I don't care. Chauvin. Chauvin was... Yes. Let's go on. That he is going to jail. And we are... He's in jail. He's in jail. And we are... We have seen, quote unquote, justice for the murder of George Floyd. But justice is not the same thing as making it Yeah, we saw accountability. Justice... If there were justice, this we wouldn't have had a case. He would have, George Floyd yeah, would have been alive. But I, I know, I, I've heard people say that, and I don't think that's a fair way to frame it because I think justice always comes after the fact. Like, justice, and I can understand, like, if, if society sure. would, I think society being just and the action of getting justice are extremely different things. Yeah. And the best we can hope for, obviously, because obviously the best we can hope for is that cops stop just fucking killing black people. Yeah. That would be a just society but achieving justice when wrong is done mm-hmm. I think in my opinion and again as a white person I am not here to talk over black audiences that's not my that's not my role or my goal my role goal um, but I think we did get justice a man did a sure. bad thing he was punished for it that is the best our criminal justice system can offer us because as you absolutely pointed out before the criminal justice system seems to be almost universally cleaning up after messes that have already made instead of investing in infrastructure and our lower income communities that Mm -hmm. prevent things like this. Mm -hmm. We years ago, you said to me a thing that has stayed with me about Mm -hmm. you can't prove prevention because Vicky, your your sister, my oldest sister used to work for a company that was a, uh, um, drug prevention, uh, company i don't know like i guess they it did was a non-profit wasn't it what's that was yeah, it, it was a non-profit non-profit? but it was like they they did things to try to keep you know hard drugs out of communities and hard drugs out of schools and you know try to keep cleanup efforts are part of it but it was mostly about different things you can do in the community and things like that to prevent widespread like um hard drug use mm-hmm um, and they always had a hell of a time trying to get funding and things like that because you can't prove your metrics. Mm-hmm. Like you can say, we arrested X number of criminals. We crime in this department or this region or whatever is down X percent. Mm-hmm. We prevented four deaths, hundred kids yeah. from using crack cocaine. How do you know? Probably. 200 kids. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way to prove prevention. Right. right. 
Um, and again, who love ringing this bell, but like it all comes back down to capitalism of like, if you can't prove this thing is quote unquote profitable and however yeah. method we're using is profit. The same reason like churches are all, always like, oh, we have to grow. Everything has to grow. You don't have to grow. You can yeah. stagnate. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. You yeah. don't have to continue. There's like, no- I feel like that in career. Like right now I, I have a job that like, I like, and I could see myself doing for a while, and I no longer have that thing of like, well, I'm not the boss to six people, so I'm not really doing well. Like, no, I don't, I don't want to yeah, do if that. If I'm making a healthy profit, like I, yeah, I've never, I've never gotten my head around the idea of like, if you have a business that makes a healthy profit every year, that's a success. You don't have to grow. Right. Your profit doesn't have to increase every year. Yeah, that's not necessary because you'll keep getting that profit. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. it's it doesn't make sense to me that it's like, oh, we are goal like Well and all we that does is it. last year you did good. We need to get better than that. No, we don't. Well and all that does is encourage those at the top to squeeze blood out of the stones mm-hmm. at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. how like God I'm I just rewatched Superstore and like that's the theme of the yeah. show is oh corporate wants us to do this. Why? I don't know. We're, yeah. we're all going to stay overnight so we can change these signs from sky blue to light blue. Like, yeah. oh, finally. So anyway, God, I don't know how we got there. But yeah, I think prevention. it's... Prevention. Yes. I, I think it is a... But yes, that that if Laura's death was quote unquote prevented, nobody would have known it. No, that's not a good point. That doesn't mean anything. I'm just trying to like think about because it, I do believe it's fundamentally about grief and how tragedy in small town America has ripples when everybody's mm-hmm. close and everybody mm-hmm. knows who Laura Palmer was. Um, to me, part of that was, okay, well, you have to build the world of Twin Peaks to understand who these people are and what they're going through. But if you're going to make a season of a show... You have to dig into those. So, like, I think it gets off track. And I think David Lynch is very skilled at presenting us with these weird, wild, quirky, wonderful characters. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to sort of off-ramp onto those. Of Like, I just want to watch a show about Big Ed and Norma. Or, yeah. or just just a show about the double R. Um, but that's not what the sh- I I think... Okay. Okay. I think David Lynch is trying to show the beauty and the tragedy of living in a small town. Right. The beauty is, and God, I've lived in a small town, and it's cool to know the cashier and always have the same bartender, and all like, it's cool to know people who you live near. However, when I hooked up with a dude, everybody fucking knew it immediately, mm-hmm. or you know, like the fact that I was an atheist was like a hot goss topic for yeah. a minute, because that's the flip side of how that works. And so, and to me, that's the same thing as like anything bad that happens. We all experience it together. Because, God, even if, like, a kid in our... We live in, like, a townhouse community, I guess. I know some of the kids on our streets. I wave at our neighbors. I don't know anybody's name. And if, like, somebody died in our block, I would obviously be sad, but it wouldn't impact me personally. And that's just a different way of living your Mm -hmm. life. And it's not a... And, like, the, the, the trauma and the tragedy of Laura's life is the reason we know about all these people and all these mm-hmm. characters and all of Twin Peaks. That doesn't happen if this doesn't, like... And I think there's also an element of, like, 
a facade of how you can lie to the people oh, yeah. who know you best. That's at the absolute heart of who Laura is. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think, okay, I guess my thought would be it started out as a story about grief and how grief strikes a small town. I think the ripples, and I think Lynch himself has said, well, I wanted to like, eventually this show is not going to be about her about solving her murder, mm-hmm. it was going to be about yeah, they were, this town. His plan was never to reveal. Right. Which kind of makes me wonder why he brought in an FBI agent. Because you need, you need an entrance into this town. How else do you... And like, there's going... If someone is murdered, there's going to be an investigation. There's going to be brass, yeah. Like, how... Like, if it was just like the local sheriff department... Mm-hmm trying to like you need you need that outsider perspective of a town mm-hmm. oh of course you need your it. audience secret. Yeah. Sorry, always yeah. always so always you need that outside. who's the lady with so, the log we call her the log yeah lady. You, you need that you need it helps you explain everything all of it yeah it's and so ryan needed, from the office and so he decided to make his outsider character himself mm-hmm. he like dale cooper in the first two seasons is Basically, David Lynch. Right. He's a caricature of David Lynch, and then he brings himself in later. Yeah, <laughs> like, like he's really trying to drive home like this is this is me injecting the myself into what this story is and how you guys are supposed to see this. Right. So, uh, to be clear, I enjoy the second season. I like a lot of the characters in it. Um, I like some of the in, story in lines. There's certainly the second season. S- Excuse me, I'm sorry. The oh, third I, season. I, 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 I was I like, most, why are you questioning I'm that? So sorry. so sorry. No, I was like, thinking, there's nine episodes. Everybody genuinely. No, 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 like, no, no. Okay. I'm sorry. The third season. I was okay. just thinking the second part. Gotcha. That's why I said the that. Re- revival or whatever. We're yeah. Um, season three. I like it. There's definitely elements of every episode that I enjoyed somewhat. Mm-hmm. However, now that we're on the other side of it, if the story is Sisyphusian, if the story is ultimately about grief, if the story is whatever, I don't know how, like, the Dougie Jones character served that end. Like, I feel like the first season, the first two seasons were... About grief and then into let's explore this weird town. I feel like the the third season had so many boundaries, right? Like he made it as long as he felt like he needed to make it. It was a story mm-hmm. he wanted to tell. But I feel like so much of it did not ultimately serve whatever moral he was trying I, to come to. I think I think that if you're talking about specifically the Dougie stuff, I think that plays into what I was saying about at least from my reading of all of every, everything, I think that plays into the idea that this is not about Cooper. We let, yes, season two uh, ended on the Cooper cliffhanger and everyone was like, oh, yeah. what's going to happen to Cooper? But it's not about Cooper. But then why did he center Cooper at this in the fucking series finale? Because he wrote that finale. To drive the point home. That like, I'm going to give you Cooper, but you know what? You're going to get this bumbling fucking... No, no, I'm sorry. Fucking- I'm sorry. Excuse me. Uh, season two. Why did the season two finale 
center completely around Cooper and... Because that's that's the, the corner they were written into at that point. Oh, I see. And that's the best he could do to resolve how the show deviated away from him. I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't involved in a great deal of the latter half of season two. Um, so this is... Okay, I... With but you wrote con- the finale. He wrote the finale, but... Oh, I guess they gave him... He, yeah. Here's where our pawns Here's are. where we yeah. are. Now write yeah, this finale. Fair. And it was like, well... And even that, he didn't write the... They wrote an diff- entirely different finale, and he came in and rewrote it all on set. Um, so he, you've got to... You know, he, he... You can't just like, well, I'm going to do this other thing now right. in the middle of that. Like you... Especially in the 90s on ABC. Sure. Like if he had put a, an ending like this episode... Yeah. In there, people would be like, what the fuck? And, yeah. and no one would have appreciated it. He fucking write it. Right. Write about it. So he... Did a great job with and and essentially ruined Cooper. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's still about Cooper or whatever, but like he's, he's destroying that anymore. character. Yeah. By the end of it, he's fucking evil. Like he's he's breaking all that down. He's not, you know, or what you see is an evil representation of him. He's breaking down that Cooper or that character. So then when you get this, you come back, everyone wants their Cooper back, and he's like, I'm going to give you this fucking bumbling idiot for 17 hours. Yeah. Like, it isn't about that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a constant reminder of that. Yeah. Well. I know you had a grimace on your face, like you didn't buy into any of that. No, I was actually just trying. I at first I had when you said he was evil. At first I thought you meant at the end of season three he was evil, mm. but you meant season two. So I was going to yeah. push back on like, well, I don't think. Yeah, no, episodes. No, no. Yeah, like, episode eighteen. Cooper like is he, evil. He might be misguided he at worst. Had to tell a Cooper story by the end of season two, because that's where they wrote him into it. Right. But he doesn't. He doesn't do right by Cooper. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, so yeah, so what do you think? Twin, of, what go ahead? No, I was gonna do a wrap up thing. You want to okay. do a wrap up thing? Do yours um, first. Twin Peaks is done, yeah, as we know it, unless they come back. Which, if they come back, we'll come back. Mm-hmm. Um, you're willing to commit to that right now? Yeah, why not? I'm, I mean, I'm game, unless you don't want I mean, it. if we have human children in the future, that might sort of bring them on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll just bring Maeve, my niece Maeve, who does best sure. turn one, and she you know, test the waters. Yeah, it'll be a good test drive. Um, no, I, you know, if it comes back, I this doesn't take that much, you know, work and effort and time. It might we'd have to whatever if something crazy happens, but um, I would, you know, but as we know it, as of now, Twin Peaks is done, um, because we're still living in this world, and it's these are fun and it's nice to do. We'll go into. I'd say Lynch's catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, we can throw a Storyville in the middle of there. That's Mark Frost's movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Chronological order, are you thinking? I, that's what I would say, that's except we talked about this a little bit. My thought is to start next week with David Lynch, The Art Life, which is that like documentary about him and his living his his viewpoint and his is idea that of Is that German art. filmmaker? No, no, no. That's, that's the German thing is the behind the scenes stuff of oh, season three. Oh, I see. I see. I see, um, I see. I see. The art life is just a documentary about him and his paintings. And 
it's basically just watching him paint and talk. He kind of just talks while he's painting and stuff mm-hmm. and gives these brief interview clips. And he talks about like how he views art and how it's important in life. Um, but, but I think it's a good get an idea of David Lynch and his approach. Mm-hmm. Then we'll go into David Lynch's catalog, interject Storyville in probably right before, right after Wild at Heart. I don't remember exactly chronologically where that comes in. Um, but we'll watch all those. I don't think we'll do like some of these podcasts do like the the books, like the final it, dossier and the secret history years. of Twin Peaks. I don't think we need to do that. Um but yeah, I'd like to watch the Lynch movies. I, I yeah, own them all. I agree. Um, I think we should probably say straightforward. I think we're going to go every other week. Oh, we are? Okay. That's what I think just because with things opening back up, doing every week is harder and a movie is a little bit more of a time commitment. And We'll surprise you. Every week we'll, we'll surprise you. Well, Sometimes and my thought we'll is we can keep... Different days. Oh, we Boom. can keep recording every Saturday and then I'll schedule them every other week. So if we have to miss a week or two. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well... Just to give us a little wiggle room. I mean, or, like, when I go or to just we, for the weekend, we do weekly, but we take breaks as we need to. Like, I don't think that's the end of the world. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I would... For me, I would prefer to be on a regular regular schedule... And so if we bank up a couple and anyway, we can talk about this off mic. Um, Can you give me any overarching thoughts about doing this podcast and has it changed what you think of the show? Has it changed what you think of my reading of art? Has it changed? I mean, I, I like that you're more like I, I've always like I, my, I was into Twin Peaks because my older sister was into it and watched it when it was on the air. And so I did too when I was way too young. And I've always been fascinated by the show. I've always been intrigued. I've always wanted to have these discussions. And I have never had the outlet for it. Like mm-hmm. we talked a little bit with people at Twin Peaks Fest, which was great. I've always wanted to do that. But like... Like I talk to people and they always talk about how their friends get together and they chat about Twin Peaks. Like mm-hmm. I remember at one of my company holiday parties, my friend, my friend Phil, who I work with, who was on this show, show for uh, part eight. Yeah. His, and he's a fan. He's a casual fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, and you heard him. He can talk about it. He's a, a movie fan and whatever. He's not obsessed with the show, the, you know, the way I am or a lot of people are or whatever, but uh, his girlfriend is much more into it than I am or than he is. Um, and his friend Bob, <laughs> surprise, yeah, is really into it. Mm-hmm. And I remember, look, one of our holiday parties, Phil and his girlfriend were there, Jen. And I was just, it was during, it was during the this show being live. And I just, we were, Every time she would come to the office for like a happy hour, I w- we would just go back and forth yapping about theories and, and ideas. And also, Jen this is the best. Yeah. Oh, she's wonderful. Um, but we just kept talking about it, th- and I was like, "God, this is what I've always wanted." Like I've, and granted, it was during the show airing, which was great. Mm-hmm. That's what I would have loved to have had. Mm-hmm. But I also watched it when I was too young. But like I now, I can really get into Twin Peaks and I can have these discussions but but outside of those moments like I don't like a lot of these people I hear about in the Twin Peaks community and stuff they have friends that they all oh they 
bat theories back and forth with each other when they're just like sitting around and hanging out and having drinks and mm-hmm. whatever. And I've never had that. So I think this is a a wonderful outlet that I've been able to like, because you can think about theories a lot, but until you t- start to explain them, that's what solidifies certain things and eliminates other things. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's great to be able to do that. Good. Um, I don't know how that affects you. I think I like that you've gotten more into it, but you're willing to watch that four hour fucking dude explain what he thinks Twin Peaks is about. I think that's that would not have happened a year ago. God, no. Oh, absolutely not. Four hours? Are you fucking kidding yeah. me? I have um, shit to do. And that's not even, like, I don't even necessarily agree with that guy. I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing. I know the Twin Peaks community butts heads about their thoughts on it all the time. And I think well, that's there's no the right answer. Yeah, exactly. It's that's the beautiful thing about it. Uh, I so think like it's interesting around unsolved case. Like I'm more in true, true crime and yeah. you're not, but like yeah. the JonBenet Ramsey case, people are fucking obsessed with talking about and myself included because we don't know what happened. Yeah. And there are a million things that could have happened. And it's, just, I think the same idea of like, if there's no right answer, it's very, and yeah. I'm using fun loosely because obviously a girl was murdered, but like <laughs> the, the concept of just yeah. discussing these topics of like, well, this could have happened and this could, Oh, but then that thing is like mm-hmm. the one thing that keeps that, from making sense and well and like that's the beauty of mark frost's secret history of twin peaks book that he put out before this is it's a dossier mm-hmm. essentially it's a collection of articles and things that give you some history of twin peaks and going into this story and everything but intentionally it's riddled with errors like Things we know to be true. When we can go back and watch so this episode. So when you say errors, you mean inconsistencies. Errors to me implies well, he he accidentally fucked something up. But I feel well, like inconsistencies is more like. Inconsi- yes, but they're things that are like, they're intentional errors. But it's like, oh. Oh, they are intentional. There's an article okay. in it where they'll talk about something and they'll drop a date. And you'll be like. I can't be right. No, that's in the show right and it's a week before that uh-huh. that's that's not what happened right no 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 this person is not that person's brother or like things like there's there's intentional errors and at fr- like they're intentional from mark frost point of view mm-hmm. they would be errors if it was a real article that really existed mm-hmm and so the idea is if you were to compile a dot like so when you watch all your documentaries and you know, podcasts or whatever about these true crime stories, they're gathering all their information from these type of dossiers and these dossiers are not accurate. Mm -hmm. Most of it, you can probably weave a story together and figure it out, but you're going to run into things that contradict each other dramatically. Mm -hmm. And both of them seem like reliable sources, but these two points Mm -hmm. are in direct opposition to each other. Mm -hmm. One of them at least is wrong. But then you take one step back and you're like, well, this is a fictional world, so there's no need for it to be on paper. Exactly. But that's his point is that he's trying to make, create this real world environment in which these things would be an issue. And it's, and it's the, it's a really cleverly done thing. And if you get a chance to listen to the audio book for it, it's even better Mm -hmm. because it's, it's a dossier. It's all these articles and things, whatever. And then written in the margins is Tammy Preston is going through the doc and she's uh, annotations right. in the margin be like, he mentioned earlier that this would be, 
I'd like to keep a note of this. Mm -hmm. Like all sorts of these things. And you can hear her doing that. It's It's very, very good. That feels a little bit about um, how the Princess Bride book was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the Princess Bride, like you've seen the movie, of course. Um, The book is similarly from the point of view of the storyteller who is telling you who is telling you about a book they read. Okay. And oh, so Oh, he's not actually reading it. He's just So um it's it's not even it's not as literal as like I'm reading to my grandson. But it's, it's more akin like akin to the Peter Falk character. Exactly. Okay. So like so when he says, "Oh, they kiss." Oh, it's kissing part. You don't want to see that. They do that in the book of like, and then some shit happens. Ugh, who cares? We're gonna move on together. Okay. And so it's a very like kind of meta sure, storytelling sure, sure. technique of like, yeah. this is the boring part. <laughs> who cares? Like we're just gonna move on mm-hmm. together as an audience. Um, I'm frankly thrilled that we did this. Cool. I think this is so. And I've said a few times, like the reason I love studying lit. In college is like this is the kind of this to me is extremely fun. Like having a bottle of wine and discussing something that ultimately really doesn't a bottle. What? A bottle. Ha- Listen. <laughs> I don't need that from you right now. Um you know, and discussing art and its impacts mm-hmm. and its implications and all that. I is is one of my favorite things and I believe whether I'm on this end of it talking like hosting a podcast or whether I'm listening to a podcast where they're doing something similar, it fundamentally changes my relationship with that piece of art to the point that like, for example, and the reason I'm bringing this up is I have an example of it is um, I'm sure you've never heard of the book. The heart is a lonely hunter. I've heard of it. Oh, have you? Um, Carson McCuthers. That can't be right. I'll look that up. So it's not like an idiot. It, Carson Daly. The heart is Carson McCullers. What did I say? Carson Daly. Fuck you. Carson McCullers. I said Carson Daly. <laughs> it is. It was right before he did TRL. Okay, shut up. It, <laughs> the worst person. Um, it's Leslie Nance who is mm-hmm. also on the show. My best friend from college. It was her favorite book, and so literally like just before I graduated college I just like went to a bookstore this is obviously before Kindles were a thing and I was going to be traveling a lot so I just like went to a bookstore and bought a shit ton of books really cheap mm-hmm. and I read it and I was like I didn't really enjoy it like I read the whole thing I didn't really enjoy it at all and Leslie and I talked about it and I mean there is partially like she probably likes it like it's the kind of book she likes more than I would she's also a big Salinger fan I'm not a huge Salinger fan um but we kind of concluded, well, probably the fact that she read it in high school or freshman college lit class and read three chapters, went into a classroom, talked about it for two hours yeah. and may, makes it uh, easy for me personally. That's much easier to wrap my my arms around something like that. Like I, the same way I read Moby Dick was you read a couple chapters and you go in and talk about what I, that means. So often I see movies that I fucking hate. Sure. Um, I so often see movies I hate or whatever and I talk about that I hate that movie and it's because I want someone who loves it to come back at me and I want I, I want to especially like some of these like noteworthy or prominent movies of the last several years that like are by respected directors or people like 
you know, we fall into the latter half of Paul Thomas Anderson's career yeah. or the Irishman or things like that. Like Scorsese. Like I hated the Irishman. Mm. You People know love you it. The Somebody who fucking <laughs> loves it. And I've yet to get anyone who can explain to me, like to have that discussion and I can drop all the things I hate and they can tell me why they love it. And I want to be proven. Like I throw that out. Not because I think just because it's, I, it's because I want to be proven wrong. I want to be like, Oh shit. I missed all that. I'm just an idiot. Yeah. I, I go back and watch movies. I hate all the time Yeah, because I I've want to be same. wrong. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's funny when you, the way you phrased it, it explains why we've almost gotten in several fights on the drive home from movies when you didn't like something and I did, and you're like, and "Tell I mean, me what you liked." You about. won't say anything because not because I because for me when I it's not like Twin Peaks that I've seen a few times and have opinions about. It's not uh, uh, Friends that I can. It's very popular to hate on Friends, but I can justify why I think it's a, still a funny program or whatever program. Okay, whatever. I do n- I do not like trying to talk somebody into liking a thing that they don't like. It's genuinely No, no, I understand that you don't think that's what's happening. Yeah. But I don't it, Okay, let me rephrase that actually. It's not that I don't like talking people into liking something. I don't like to justify why I enjoy something. Sure. In a in, and I only mean that in a I just saw a movie and I really enjoyed it. It wasn't impactful on me. It didn't like, like Lady Bird or Little Women. I think I'm sure immediately I talked about the things I liked about it. Mm-hmm. I talked about being seen on screen. Yeah. When I go see, I can't think of another, uh, Knives Out, for example. You, we left the theater. You didn't like it. I really liked it. I didn't hate it. I, but you did not like it. Yeah. I, not, I didn't say you hated it. I said sure. you didn't like it. We walked out and I really enjoyed it. On a surface level. I thought yep. it was kind of funny, and I thought the costumes were fun. I liked all the characters. I sure. thought um, James Bond took really huge swings, which were wild, and I enjoyed. <laughs> I can never remember Daniel Craig. I can never remember his it's name. It's weird that they got James Bond. I know. It's yeah. fucking wild. People didn't know it was a, an actual 007. 007 knives <laughs> um, out. But things like that that I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I enjoyed that. It, yeah. it, and then when you are like, I didn't enjoy it. What do you like about it? No, like I don't want to fucking explain. What, can I? Yeah. Can you just like let me have a thing that I enjoyed? And, that, yeah. and it's not about you personally, Mikey. No, it's about me being like, I I turned my brain off. I enjoyed this dumb movie. I'm not going to do a podcast about it. I'm sure. not going to start a conversation in a Facebook group about it. Sure. I enjoyed it. It was a fun way to spend two hours for me. And that's that's and I, it makes you understandably bonkers. I just I just I I I wish I had more people around me to have those conversations with, mm-hmm. and I don't. And that's why I like, that's what I was saying about this is that like, this is forcing this conversation and I love it. And it's things you like or don't like. And that's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think people who loved Joker are wrong. Well, no, I've never seen that. Well, but, or the Irishman or whatever. But I like, it's the way like people get more entrenched in their political views when they debate issues. Right. Because all they do is I want you to get more entrenched in it because- I think I don't do that. Well, I don't think I, I consciously make an effort to try not to be more entrenched. So if you keep talking about a thing and you're mm-hmm. like, I, I did that. Re- like, 
I follow a bunch of Instagram things and I'll, or I'll watch behind the scenes things and be like, oh, that's really fucking clever that they, I didn't realize mm-hmm. that they were doing, you know, I watched a thing recently where Bong Joon-ho in for Parasite, every time he's showing the family, there's a, there's some type of line dividing them. And like all these like really clever cool. things that I'm like, this is fucking brilliant. Mm. And yes, I already, I loved Parasite sure. out the gate. So that's not so necessarily it was an objectively great. great movie. Yeah. <laughs> so but, good. Uh, but there's, but if, if someone can point out things like that from the Irishman that I didn't pick up mm. on and I can refocus and, and get into it. But I like, I couldn't get on board for anything. And I was completely pulled out by the terrible CGI what of we trying talk- to make of jo- departed. Oh, departed. Sorry, not departed. Or um, Irishman. Uh, Irishman. Of trying to make them Joker. look younger. Like that was all of it pulled me out of it. I couldn't right. get immersed in the movie. And when it's upwards of three hours long, mm-hmm. if you can't get immersed, that's a problem. Right. Oh God. Um, Which the only reason I finished it is because I was watching it on an airplane. But also, I was watching it on an airplane. You're probably not supposed to watch it on yeah, an airplane. It's not how Scorsese right. intended his right. vision. But Scorsese uh, put this movie out on Netflix. Yeah. So you gotta assume people are watching it on Netflix on their fucking their tablets and shit. Yeah. Or in their and like we have a nice little movie theater setup thing that we have a pretty big sure. TV in a very small space that's has blackout curtains. Yeah. It is literally, and it has surround sound. Like it is Mikey's teeny tiny movie theater that seats mm-hmm. four comfortably or eight uncomfortably if it's <laughs> the season premiere of Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. um, and so even that's better than, God, even like lately, if I've been one, like after you got, I tend to stay up a few hours later than Mikey because I'm a night owl and I hate myself and my house. Owls are not what they seem. But lately I have been, after you go to bed, I'll go downstairs, partially because I know you can hear the TV on the... We live in a townhome, so there are kind of movie like, areas yeah. in, in the basement. We're on the main level now that has our living room, mm-hmm. and then directly above us is our bedroom. And I know you can hear the vibrations or whatever sometimes of the TV, so I go downstairs for sure. your benefit. Yeah. But also, like, I'll turn out the lights and just, like, sit in it. Yeah. And like, really, I, I find that to be a much and more fun way to... Yeah, when, when the lights are out that you see all the definition of a, mm-hmm. of a, a shot, it's, yeah, it's the way you're supposed to watch things. But to to the point we kind of brought up earlier, and I'm going to keep using Knives Out because I think it's a very good example of a movie I liked, fine. And sure. like... I, so when we're driving home, and I'm sure I'm completing like six different movies, but we're driving home and you didn't like it and I did and you want to know what I liked about it. And off the bat all I can say is I don't know I liked it and if you're talking about a movie I've seen a mil- so um Scare Me is a movie I've seen multiple times which is new mm-hmm. this year and it's just two to three people in a cabin snowed mm-hmm. in it's a blackout and it's good I I recommend watching it yeah it's oh good. no I it's really it. good yeah I found it like I've watched it multiple times because I just find it really engaging. And I, um, after you went to bed the other weekend when my friend Anne was here, we watched it together, and she's mm-hmm. like, "I can't stop thinking about it." So I don't know if it's anyway. I my favorite takeaway from that movie is that the one character at the beginning keeps referring to film director <laughs> James Cameron. Cameron. Oh I just, God, I, I just, genuinely. I, and I, from now on, will only refer to him as James, James Cameron. Cameron. <laughs> um. And so I'd be willing to, I'm willing to talk about okay. movies that I like that even are 
admittedly, like, we both like movies that are bad, but I can, like, lay down a pretty clean debate about why, like, Demolition Man is really fucking funny. Or sure. the shitty Nora Roberts romance novel. It's called Jules of the Sun. I've genuinely read it ten times in my life. <laughs> I understand it's a dumb romance yeah. novel. I love it. And I will go toe-to-toe yeah. with anybody. If I just got out of a movie, I... In, I know eat, that voice. <laughs> y'all, uh, I know that voice is so good. Um... What was, we you still have to watch that one about extras? Oh yes, forget I do what have it's to called. Watch that. You would love it. Uh, but all that's to say is, I either want to come to the table with you, Mikey, my husband, who I talk about these things with, either as we're both neutral and we're just talking about something, okay, or we both liked or disliked something and we want to talk about that. I and maybe sure. given some time and some space and some thought. I can say like, oh, here's the reasons that Knives Out was good. And sure. maybe here's the reasons you didn't like it, but here's what I did like about it. When I'm leaving the theater, I just kind of want to like hang out in that space a little sure. bit of, I, I had a thing I enjoy and I'm not going to intellectualize it. To this day, the best class I've ever had at any grade level was oh, yes. my second year. I think I've brought this up before, but I, it was my second year community college class. It was a film yeah film appreciation class or whatever and we had class i think three times a week but one of those days was a wednesday night class Mm. and there was a art house movie theater nearby um uh this is roosevelt not roosevelt this was at cod was at cod of course yeah so i think we went tivoli maybe the Tivoli Tracks. Did you go to the one in Glen Allen or did yeah. you go to the... You didn't go to I, this... I had classes at the satellite campus or whatever, okay. but the... COD is, is the, yeah, College of Page, which is... Might have been Tivoli. It was something like that. It was, like basically half of my graduating class went to COD, yeah. a quarter of them went it's, to U of I, and the rest of us just like it's went to Indiana. It's a giant community college, but actually like really well respected. Really good. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember the theater actually, but... But I do remember it was Wednesday nights. I don't know. Go figure. Um, we as a family but remember important it was, things. So it was like a six-week course or whatever. Mm-hmm. And once a week on the Wednesday class or whatever, we went to a movie as a class. Mm-hmm. Went to the movie. Watched the movie. Movie ended. We stayed in the theater. They brought up the house lights. And as a class, we discussed mm-hmm. it. Who liked it? Who didn't like it? Why didn't you like it? And like those immediate reactions, you didn't have time to dwell on things. But then someone points out, like, "Yeah, but I noticed they used uh, this type of shot when they were doing this thing, and it really brought." Oh, I didn't think about that. That changes my view on. And like, yeah. And by I, the time you leave, you either realize why you hated it mm-hmm. or you loved it. And I do get that instinct of yours of like, I didn't like it, and I want to know why I didn't like it. I didn't like it sure. for the following four reasons. Um, and I, especially when I know going in, it's a respected creator, mm-hmm. like well, and they like a that. Scorsese or somebody like that. Where I'm like, I usually like Scorsese, right? Why didn't I like this? Well, so and much? they do that at the Steppenwolf as well. The play yeah. ends, yeah. and hey, yeah, we come. saw Bug recently, and that was great. Yeah, so good. And they had this thing of like, let's talk about it. And so I wanted to participate in it, but I think there is a difference between. I think you tend to cut. This is not a criticism. This is just sort of how yeah, you how sense. you function. I think you come out of something going, yeah, I think that was good. Yeah, I think that was bad. And I'm willing to let you change my mind. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's probably true. Whereas... I don't know. Let me think about it. I could be wrong. Whereas, so for example, after Bug, which is a, a, a like you said, a play we saw at Steppenwolf about essentially a descent into yeah. insanity. Yeah. Which is Carrie Coon. My was favorite genre is yeah. a descent into insanity. I fucking love it. That's why the yellow wallpaper is the best short story of all time. Clean descent into insanity. Um, but so we went down and it was more, here's what I thought about this thing. And I talked a little bit about how when the original cast had done this show, this is a revival, when the original cast, it was, what's his face, the Chicago actor who was in Shape of Water? Michael Shannon? Michael Shannon played the male lead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the version we saw, the the guy who played the male lead was a black man. And to me, that landed... imbued so many nuances mm-hmm. and I genuinely could not imagine how that show worked nearly as well with a white guy as the actor like mm-hmm. it just to me it made the and whole I, thing I think work. that's just the performance you saw was sure. the actors using that as of subtext uh, and so when we talk it's like I want to talk about this and I want to you know relate this back to that and all these things and it's less about to me, the com- those conversations and the conversation I want to have driving home from movie yeah. theater. I don't know where we're doing like fucking couples therapy on this podcast. The conversation I want to have is like, I want to talk about it neutrally. <laughs> okay. And we and you and I both do this, and it's again can't be clear enough. Not a not a uh, prod at you, but we both leave a theater and go, "What'd you think?" That's yeah. always what we do, which I think most people Everyone do. Does that. And so I don't we think and so we unique, end yeah. up so we end up by the time we get to our car, it's binary. One of us liked it, one of us didn't. We both liked it, neither of us liked it. And then that what that is what frames our conversation. Yeah, I mean as well, like I hated it, here's five things I hated about it. As when, opposed to I just kinda want to talk about this weird scene that's happening and like approach it from a very broad look that's at the why floor. It's one of my favorite things in the world when we go see a movie together and both of us love it. Or like, like, yeah, we left, we left Queen and Slim and it was like, oh, fucking hey. Well, I couldn't so talk good. for like six hours after Queen and Slim. I was so or, distraught or about us. it. No, or of course. any of these movies that we both loved immediately. Immediate, yes. Uh, and there is something. Ready tr- or Not was like that. There's something like, truly magical about whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's a play or something like that. When you're in the middle of something, you're like, cool, this is my new favorite thing. Yeah. And you're living it. Yeah, like that's us, the best. Honestly, Get Out and Us are my two favorite movie-going experiences I've ever had because neither of them... Ooh, I started that sentence wrong. For neither of them did I do any prep work. I knew yeah. I liked Jordan Peele and I trusted him. But you his, knew you liked him as Key and Peele. As Key like, and Peele, of course. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, I was really only getting on board into like the horror thing. Me loving horror is very new in yeah, our yeah, lives. Yeah. Um, but And that's the reason I don't like to know anything going into something of like, I just sure. want to take the fucking yeah. ride. Like I even read Hunger Games Cold, which like everybody knew the plot, but somehow I just missed it. And I was like... I'm just gonna say, and literally, it was like, "Oh, these are the Hunger Games." Oh, oh, the the little sister got picked. Oh, that's a weird. Tw- oh, she's. Oh, that makes sense. Of course, this book is about the main character being in the Hunger Games. You dumb idiot! But I can just yeah. turn my brain off and be an, just a fool and like take my hand and lead me where the story is going. Yeah. And I feel like I can only do that when I go in completely cold. But God, seeing um seeing Get Out and Us in theaters, knowing nothing about it, is like, okay, this is gonna be like horror adjacent and it's Jordan Peele and I like his sensibilities because we watched Keen Peele and like they did 
horror parodies. They sure. did, like they play yeah. with genre. And just going in and not knowing what was going on and just uh, things and, have... and it helps that they're both incredible films. Of course, they're objectively great movies. But genuine, I remember sitting in the seat watching Us and we ended up in one of those um, handicap rows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember... It was just two seats by themselves. Yeah, so yeah. it was just me and Mikey and there was like a gap to our right. There was nobody there. <laughs> And if you haven't seen us, I guess spoilers, but the when they present your antagonists, which is the doppelganger of the family mm-hmm. that we we have met, I was like physically squirming in my seat, and I just kept going, um, um, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> like that's all I could yeah. come up with was like, what the fuck it, is happening? Because yeah, these are these are some like that, and that I wish there was more horror movies getting better theatrical play Mm -hmm. because watching a horror movie in a crowded theater is incredible well it's funny because we had i had a really great experience you just recently watched it but when we saw widows in theater yeah i had so much fun because we were just surrounded by like old black ladies who were talking back at the theater i forgot and i it yes made my entire fucking life better like i just I, I kind of don't want to ever see that movie again because I just enjoyed the experience like, like of watching. One of those that, like normally, a woman behind me just kept going. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> like I I yes and like I, normally it would totally bother me in a movie when people are like talking, but like mm-hmm, yep yep yeah and, like all that kind of shit happening, and I was like, this it was is just awesome. It, it sort of felt like awesome. seeing Rocky Horror Picture Show, like not that like over the top, yeah. but just sort of participatory. Yeah, and I loved it. But in it, yeah, and it's. <laughs> And that may have may because like that's a Steve McQueen movie who's uh-huh. widely regarded as a very 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 good director. Uh-huh. Um, I'm in the middle of watching. There's like a five movie, five part um, series called Small Acts on Amazon Prime. I've watched oh, yes, yes, yes. a couple of them. The first one's like two hours. Then they're like an Wait, hour. They, is it serialized fiction or is it documentaries? It's five separate movies all about like black civil rights and things like that oh okay um but in various locations i've only seen the think the first two Uh so far they've both been very 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 good Mm -hmm. um but he did uh shame and which is very good um the the irish hunger with also very very good he did 12 years a slave yeah um hunger seems like a very stressful movie to watch yeah I don't know. Isn't just about like uh, the IRA and how they were imprisoned unfairly and they did a hunger strike? Yeah. yeah. But it's... Yep. If it's, it's, Mikey, it sounds pretty grim. It is. It's it's grim, but it's, it's very, very... And I, again, one of those movies where like benefits from like there's one take where the guys tell... Where Fassbender is telling his story about... His plan to oh, it's Irish. I was like, start this, yeah. start this hunger strike, and he's telling this this other guy, and it's a static shot of two people sitting at a table like we are now, and the camera's over here to the right, and it's 15, 16 minutes long, and it's basically just, just take. let's do a static camera doesn't move, and it's just like let's do a play for fifteen minutes. That. And it's it benefits like yeah. he's a he's an he knows exactly when the scene in Widows where it's um, uh, Colin Farrell does he's the running for alderman in this like yes. poor community yeah 
because his family has been the alderman Mm. for decades Mm. or for generations. And he does this whole thing and then he gets back into his car and you see his conversation with his thing from outside the car. You don't see their faces Mm -hmm. and he's driving and all you're seeing is part of the car and the city that he's driving through and watching the neighborhood get better and better and better and better until it pulls into his own fucking mansion. (sighs) And you're like, it's... The, to the point where the conversation doesn't mean a goddamn thing. What it's about. And you're telling everything about who this character is mm-hmm. by the the town and the rally that he just gave mm-hmm. and the 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 ward that he wants to represent. And you're like, you live in this fucking giant man. Like, Wait, where did it take place? Chicago. Oh, okay, oh, that's what very I much. They shot a bunch of scenes at our local, uh, uh, um, whatever pancake house or whatever. The, uh, Golden pancake. Yeah. for life. Um, but it's but it's great, and he's a great filmmaker. And this is his most Widows was probably his most accessible. Mm. So to watch people like hell yeah, yeah, like on board as it just made it it made what most people will say is probably his worst movie. Really, infinitely better because of that. I enjoyed it. Well, and but the- also it's there's no there's no real stakes in this movie. Sure. Like, but that's most heist movies is like exactly, exactly. It's but green. twelve years a slave is obviously the high stakes, stakes. <laughs> hunger and yeah, yeah, very high stakes. Yeah. Well, and the flip side of that is when we left Queen and Slim, and I was, it was very, very, very good. It was so good. I like racking subs for me, mm-hmm. and I remember very much like we're. I think we stayed through most of the credits. And again, we're one of the few white Yeah, we were the only cup- white people. We're the only white people yeah, there. I and I just remember like it ended and I was a- an emotional wreck. It's tr- I don't know if I'll ever see that movie again. That's one of those. I- there's a handful of those like really, really heavy movies that I bought them and I have them in my collection for the sole reason that like support. once in a while though. Oh. This I need I need I need to watch something that's that heavy. I thought it was it was like the way I buy like podcast shirts of like that's I just want to put too. my money toward a thing Cer- I enjoy. Yeah, certain things like because there's movies that aren't rewatchable for the most part, but like I need to support that it exists. Yeah, yeah. The Queen, I loved Queen, Queen and Slam is very very good. I love Queen and Slam, and there's a scene. So it's a, essentially like a black Bonnie and Clyde, modern Bonnie yeah. and Clyde story. Like starts though with. The, the 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 couple is on a first date, yeah. an Uber date, or an Uber um, Tinder Tinder date, um, and they're harassed by a police officer, and there's a scuffle, and the police officer gets shot, mm-hmm. so they go on the run, mm-hmm. and no one's going to believe that this guy was attacking them, but he was, which we saw obviously right. from the point of view of the couple, and the the I don't remember what the guy does well, first of all they're unnamed through the whole thing which mm-hmm. I think is such an interesting choice which well, I love yeah. um, but the woman is a lawyer mm-hmm. and so that adds a different layer of her v- anyway all that's to say it's extraordinarily good and I think like I kind of want want to watch it again up until like because the the adventure movie of it is sure. so sure. good it feels sure. like two different movies when I remember it somehow yeah. it feels yeah. like the bookends of it of like cops suck and are targeting black people almost constantly mm-hmm. 
And then the middle, we have this cool road trip journey. And there's a scene. I mean, that's the way a lot of these movies are, even when yeah. they're not like yeah. racially motivated. This sure. is this is Bonnie and Clyde. This and is Butch Bonnie. Cassidy. Yeah. This is, you know. But there's a scene where they are in the middle Badlands. of Badlands. In the middle of nowhere. I've still never seen Badlands, but I do know that true crime story and the song. Um, there's a scene where they just pull over in this random farm town and there's just like a fucking horse in a field. And he says, I've never ridden a horse. I've always wanted to ride a horse. And she's like, okay, fucking do it. And there's just this scene of him like crawling onto this horse in a way that I could not relate to more of just like, it's awkward and it's weird. And when he gets on the horse, he's kind of like holding on with his arms (laughs) and legs. And it's just like, I'm on a horse. I'm like, (laughs) genuinely, maybe the most charming thing I've seen in my entire life. Literally anything Daniel Kaluuya does is he's the most charismatic human oh, in existence. He's a doll. I love him. Um, but God, I, I brought that up because it was kind of the opposite of seeing, you know, we're talking about like black led movies in theaters where the audience is largely black and Mikey and I like not to be like fucking white saviors. We do make a point to mm-hmm. put our money toward m- movies that, mm-hmm don't often get made right sure, like we sure, don't see sure, a lot sure. of black stories which i don't know how to say that without sounding like an annoying white savior person I mean, but like it's, it's just us doing our part it's yeah it's the least we can do yeah. but we try to do like i'm you know we yeah we went and saw widows we went and saw queen and slim we made an effort to see uh, sorry to bother me or sorry to bother you like yeah. there's which i kind of want to watch again because i didn't get it that's another movie I didn't insane. enjoy, and everybody is like, "It was amazing." I'm like, "I didn't it's even, insane, I didn't I, even understand what like allegory they're going for." So I kind of want. Somebody, oh, it's what I want is somebody to explain exactly what happens to me. Again. It's a hundred percent anti-capitalist, which obviously I'm into. But I just I, gen- I remember watching it and being utterly confused the whole time, and that doesn't. It doesn't oh, it's, say it didn't. I mean, it's yeah. We'll, we'll watch it. We can watch it again. I have that too. But all that's to say is when we left Queen Slim, where the ending, spoiler alert, the ending is fucking tragic and hard to watch. And I think even me saying that, like, I think we all knew it was going to be a tragic ending, right? Like, it's a Bonnie and Clyde story. I remember specifically, like, I was loudly crying, probably louder than I should have. It probably came off as performative, but I'm just a loud person and I cry a lot. So, um... And Mikey and I, we were closer. It was one of those small theaters, so the aisle was on, like, the far side, and we were kind of by the wall. And so when we got up to leave, we were two of the first. And we stayed through the entire credits, mm-hmm. and we were some of the first people to get we were, up and We were leave. waiting for Sam Jackson to come, come on. And be <laughs> exactly. like, we're putting together the Queen and Slim Avengers. Fucking Howard the Duck is back! <laughs> um, but we got up, and we're just, like, walking through this theater that was silent yeah it was just people sitting in it because this was their life this is their experience Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. mikey and i took this two-hour journey and like tried to our best to put ourselves in these people's shoes but and i think you when we left you made a really salient point of like and now we get to go back to our lives. Now we get to go back to being Did white I, people in I public. Don't, I don't even remember that. But I'm, honestly, I might have punched it up for you, but you gave the idea of I like, mean, yeah. because but that's these, exactly these black viewers in the audience just saw their own experiences reflected back to them in a horrible way. And yeah. you and I had the privilege of watching horrible yeah. experiences and understanding that they're real. But like, okay, we're going to get into our 
Mazda and drive home without <laughs> getting pulled over, probably, unless Mikey mm-hmm. puts a fucking van sticker on the back of our <laughs> car again. But um, but yeah, but and that's and. Uh, and that's why these th- like that's why I like to put money thing like even if I don't enjoy them like I want I'm like, how many movies directed by written by starring white guys have I seen that I fucking hated right but the Ghostbusters didn't Ghostbusters twenty sixteen didn't do as well as they wanted so I'm never gonna get a fucking female led superhero right. movie again like and that's even but even like the superhero movies are all well and fine you know Black Panther directed by Ryan Coogler so fucking great good. but like. There's so like I I don't know. There's just so many good movies that need to be made and need to be seen and we're on that cusp of rolling into everything being the next franchise. And yes. it's it's getting very 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 hard. Well, I think that And the sad part is like I want to oh, support the local movies and not those, but I enjoy a lot of these the Marvel movies and stuff sure. like that. I, I've I've gone deeper into Fast and Furious than I should, partially because Mikey's adoration of Fast and Furious is legendary. It's literally, they, I mean, they consistently get better. The first one is by far the worst in the franchise. I remember really liking. Okay, wait, wait. I just want to do a quick sidebar. I want to get some context about Mikey's love of Fast and Furious. But wait, what, wait just super super quick. Okay. I went to. Um, to when when Mikey and I were living in the city, I drove to Louisville to visit my friend Leslie, who has been on the show. And so I left Mikey alone for three or four nights, and I came back, and he's like, "Guess what? I've watched all the Fast and Furious. I bought them on Blu-ray, and they're the yeah. best movie I've had. And at now, that, at that point, there were six, so I had watched the first six. Um, but what I'm loving more than anything is they're getting. The diversity in the movies is fantastic, not only on screen, but behind it as well. Most, Mm -hmm. one, only one of those movies is directed by a white man. Which one? The first one. Who directed that? Or do you know? Um, a, A guy who has been accused multiple times of sexual assault, a guy named, uh, Rob Cohen, I think his name is. Um, by like his family, I think even no. like he's a total piece of That's shit. I think so weird. A white guy's a monster. But never outside seen that of that, it's like, I granted three or four of them are Justin Lin, but which Justin Lin is an Asian, but he's an Asian man. Then there's F. Gar- an Asian. He's an Asian man. Oh, okay. And so there's an Asian man. F. Gary Gray is a black man. Um, and any lady director? There's no ladies yet. But the seventh one, oh, John Singleton did Too Fast, Too Furious. He's a black man. Um, and I think the seventh one is, I don't remember who did that one. But it's, there's much more diversity there, in that Those movies then. are more diverse. And like as they add characters, they're adding like women. Almost and always. Biracial women yeah. even. And there's a, there's Asian people, black people, white people, like those movies are very diverse unnecessarily diverse and do great yeah Mm -hmm. they're they're they could these could very easily be any other action movie Mm -hmm. with a bunch of fucking white dudes pulling this car heist or whatever right and like 
Paul Walker was really the only white guy. I mean, they get other people in it later. Vin Diesel is a fucking mutt. Yeah, he... Like, I mean, that's I probably that's an okay thing to say. <laughs> to say, right. But, like, nobody really knows what his ethnicity or knows. race is. Because I don't, I don't think he knows his father, his biological sure. father personally. So, I don't But, think- like, yeah. He, I mean, he plays an Italian guy or whatever, but... Um, oh, I thought they were Hispanic. Toretto? I, oh, sounds, Toretto sounds, sounds okay. In Italian. hindsight, it sounds I just right. assumed Italian. But the woman who played his sister, I just thought was was Hispanic or Latina. No, I think she's just overly tan. <laughs> uh, but she's his girlfriend, his girlfriend Letty, is yeah. is Michelle Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the point being, like, I don't know how intentional it is, but those movies do an excellent job of being inclusive. Mm-hmm. And, and they're a in good a example way that isn't of, like, hmm. oh, like some of the Marvel movies are doing where they're like making an effort to look how fucking woke we are or whatever. It's just literally like, hey, guess what? People of color also exist. <laughs> do cool shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's, it's, they've got, you know, Ludacris and fucking, um, um, uh, what's his name? Yeah. The, the very, very, very funny guy. The handsome guy. one? Yeah. Um, the guy who introduced Christ, in the second what's one. what's his cunt's name? Um, uh, it is... Shit. Terrell. Nope, that's nothing. Fast. Um, God, why am I forgetting his name right now? Would he be in he, Fury 7? He was, yeah, he was in 7. He's, he was introduced in Tyrese the Tyrese Gibson. Tyrese Gibson, thank you. Uh, I said something pretty close to Terrell. Listen, Uh, I was in the neighborhood. But he's, he's hilarious. But like. So charming. So charismatic. These guys, it has nothing. None of these guys being black has anything to do with anything. Right, it's not a plot point. And I, I just, I fucking adore those movies for that reason. Yeah. And they're ridiculous and they're stupid and they get over and over and over and over the top, but I don't care. So anyway, where I was going with that was that like, what's hard is I want to support all these small movies and keep them getting made. Mm. But I also fucking love. Yeah. And that's what's hard. And I don't want things to be taken over by all the fast, the you know, huge, these, yeah. The huge theaters. I have to pee my pants. So, anyway, so we haven't talked about Twin Peaks in a very long time. <laughs> no, yes, correct. Um, but any that's I mean that's that's the approach. I well like to our film going oh. experiences. Um, it's a thing Lynch has been criticized for a little bit, so I'm curious about that when we go into some of these movies. Is that black people are very few and far between, and he doesn't have a lot of traumatizing things happen to a lot of women in his he doesn't a lot of traumatizing things happen oh. to women <laughs> i was gonna say yeah i disagree yeah um, like which isn't 
sure necessarily one way or the other right like it's not inherently sexist but i think like it's not but i think i think the difference is lynch tends to put a spotlight on this thing that we're all hiding yeah, I mean, I think even if violence to women does happen, it tends to be... It exists more than it happens in his movies. You know what I mean? Like, I think the point, that's the point. Well, what I was going to say was he, it's very unflinching when he shows it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it it's it never, is from her point of view. It's never gratuitous or glamorous. Glamorous, yeah. I think, is uh, gratuitous. I think we can argue about. But, like, it's not glamorized. It's not... Yeah. It, it is... This woman is in a relationship with this monster, and he makes her miserable. And mm-hmm. that's the story that we're telling. Um, All right. I think... But he does... Ten- he, uh, he tends to do movies about white, small-town America. Sure. And, well, God, when yeah. you're in the Pacific Northwest, which is a... Sure. And I... And I the thing is, I am fine people with people telling stories that they are comfortable telling. I, with, I yeah, I'd re- I I would prefer him tell these stories that he then try to it. venture in something he does not understand. Right, exactly. So so I would rather yeah, David Lynch like make stories about white small town Americana, as long as there's space for black filmmakers, and exactly. immigrant filmmakers, and queer filmmakers sure. to to sure. tell sure. their stories that's, as that's well. That's the difference. As yeah. long it's. These stories can still exist. These other ones just need I'm to exist also. I'm not mad that Steven Spielberg only writes, only directs movies about white people. I'm mad that there isn't a black Steven Spielberg who's doing the same thing with the black community or sure. Asian or immigrants or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Anyway. I, I am, I'm, I'm very curious because I think we're on the cusp of getting, but I don't know who that next Hollywood blockbuster black filmmaker will be. No, I don't either, but I think you're right that like I, I think... I mean, I think Black Panther was the breakthrough black sure. Hollywood blockbuster. I think th- I think we will be able to, but for a you, long time, trace things back to Black Panther. If you look at Ryan Coogler's other work, though, that's a departure for him. No, no, no I, I'm sorry. I'm not talking about within his work. I'm talking about, like, as a cinematic. Sure. As, as Americans who produce cinema, I think that uh, 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 Black Panther is going to be a... A, a real turning point in black cinema. I, so. I, I think that I think the fact that Black Panther and Jordan Peele's two movies kind of came out in a cluster and were extraordinarily mainstream and were not the the Medea movies, not like mm-hmm. tailored for a black audience, which again place for that too, right? Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. not a necessarily bad. Those are thing. important, yeah. Um, the same the, the same way is, Hallmark movies are tailored for white women yeah. like me, and I love them. The the problem is like I I don't get the Medea movie, like th- because like that's well, like a, I don't necessarily think that, it's the same way. Like I'm a huge Coen Brothers I fan. I knew you were gonna bring up yes. the Coen Brothers. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. I ninety five percent of their catalog I absolutely love. Love the Coens. A lot of people, and you what you read those like BuzzFeed articles or whatever about like the best, you know, ranking the Coen Brothers movies best to worst or whatever. Most of those movies put seri- the Serious Man, the up, Serious, a happen. Serious Man. Yeah. To that same year, a Serious Man came out, and this what's the Colin Firth movie? A, the oh. this this series there was like a serious man and the serious man or something like maybe that maybe that's why I've always been confused about that yeah, movie they, because- and they came out the same fucking year um a serious man versus the serious man I think so I think okay. the serious oh, man a single man a single man okay that's what it is um which is shockingly Colin Firth's number one he won an, known a, for Academy Award for it I think did he yeah 
Um, anyway, uh, A Serious Man was a Coen Brothers movie. It's good. I remember seeing it and being like, I have no idea what just happened. Right. And then I talked to my friend Drew, who loved it. Is he Jewish? Drew Finkel. Oh, <laughs> I, okay. Yes. I hear it now. Um, and I was like, what? And he's like, it's it's literally, it's just chock full of Jewish deep cuts. Mm-hmm. And it's things that like, I'm not Jewish. I just don't know these things. Um, and he was nominated for an Oscar for it. He won the Oscar for um, the King's Speech. Uh, okay. Um, the following year. Sure. Okay. Um, but anyway, the point being, I just didn't understand it. Because I'm not Jewish. But the people who did get those Jewish references mm-hmm. loved it. The same reason I loved Lady Bird. Because it took yeah. place when because I was in high school. A movie needs to exist for everybody. Yeah. And that's exactly the point. These, like, everybody's stories deserve to be told. Yeah. Well, I and I've been talking about Lady Bird since the moment it came out. Because it was the first. And, and understand this. Like, I am a privileged white woman from an upper class family mm-hmm. I do okay on my own but I'm we've never been homeless and we've never really had a threat of homelessness like so we're okay Lady Bird is the first time I saw a movie and was like oh this is what I remember my high school experience being and it's helps that it's exactly the same time frame and everything but that's what I'm saying is because how many it's easy to like relate to little women but uh, not yeah. quite but the like same. how many yeah. super bads have their bad sure. of like sure. awkward teen guys like your your michael your story has been told in freaks and geeks and your story has been told in all these places and i never ne- never has my story truly been told though uh-huh. until two years ago oh god mid 90s oh i still haven't seen that oh so good but it's Absolutely. Well, it's so funny because our age difference really comes to a head in the mid nineties. Because I was six in the mid nineties, and it's mid nineties about young, specifically a young nerdy skateboarder who tries to get in to skateboarding to try to be like cool and like. Who's I've never heard of anybody even similar to that. It's like the way Ladybird speaks to you. Mid nineties speaks to me. But like, but you understand that absolutely. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, if they made a... That doesn't matter. Anyway, um, listen, we've been doing this for like three and a half hours. I need to be out of this chair soon. We have made it through our respective bottles of wine. Almost. Is it the bougiest thing ever that we each drink an individual bottle of wine while we record this? Uh, It's pronounced booziest. (laughs) I see what you did there. Um, Okay, I want to wrap this up, and I want to do this by asking how your perspective on Twin Peaks has changed in the last year. Because it's it's been, this is our 52nd episode. It's been a full <laughs> I calendar. I you wanted to wrap this up. <laughs> well, no, I, ju- I just want to hear, like, I want I want to yeah. bring it home and I want to sure, sure, end sure. on oh, Twin Peaks. So it's all about coming home again, huh? Seems to be a thread in this entire series is home and going home and what is home. and um, explain my face? Sorry. Um, uh, what do you mean? I c- clarify. Just say your shit. I, I don't. I'm asking you right now. What, I don't know what you mean. What do you What do you want me to say? I don't. I don't know. Like, has your 
understanding? Has your appreciation changed over the last year? Has your relationship with me changed in any significant... Not obviously our relationship, but like has your opinion about us changed? Has your opinion about the series changed? I mean, I think we've touched on it already. I, you know, I'm viewing the different lens of, you know... ACAB. Yeah, and the civil unrest and all that kind of stuff and the viewpoint of the do-no-wrong cops in this series. Um, A lot of that has changed. I like the fact that I've been able to speak thoughts about this show out loud Uh and on an episode-by-episode basis and the older stuff. I still, I I think about it all the time about like, oh, do I like the third season better? Because they're they're different entities. Yeah, it feels like different. But yeah, I go back and forth. They both have their place, and I think it's you know part of the discussion we just had. Like they all, there needs to be a place for all of these things, and yeah, it I'm- can be the same thing. It can be a dark and twisted and tormented show, and still be Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. like. Coffee and pie and donuts doesn't isn't all that Twin Peaks is, and I think, and nor is Twin Peaks only Bob the supernatural sure. sinister thing. Like it's, it's about the it's dark and all the of these light, things. and it's almost just like a three episode show, <laughs> and each episode kind of has a different thing, and it's the first season. You know, the first series is the lighter shit, and then the. Fire Walk With Me is the actual trauma mm-hmm. and then the third season is the aftermath of trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, like it's, that all has a place and I think at if you can't relate to something in this entire series, if you watch it all and what is can't re- connect to something. What is relate? Oh, connect. Okay. I was going to say, like what does relate mean There's something for everybody. Is that seeing a character who you think reflects you? Or, or an idea that... or a concept okay. or a theme or whatever. Mm. Yes. Like, I think there's something for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And sure, not everybody. But I think, I think the, it's trying to open up eyes. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's important. When people say, oh, I watched the first couple of episodes of Twin Peaks or I watched the whole first season and I did not get it and I hated it. Mm-hmm. Is your instinct to justify why you liked it or are you... Because to me... So, for example, my friend Alyssa, um, one of my murder friends, mm-hmm. she and her... And when I say murder friends, it's my friends who I met because her, we... Her friends she murders people with. Correct. Oh, my God. <laughs> and a job I ultimately got fired from... Um, my so my murder friends are uh, remind me I'm gonna come back to Alyssa and Crystal watching Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. but um, we call each other like murder friends because we met because we all listen to my favorite murder. We all live in the Chicago suburbs and we just met up for drinks one night and have been friends for four years now. Um, and so whenever <laughs> so whenever I'm hanging out with these girls, I am always like, oh, I'm hanging out with my murder friends. But And a thing we do is, if you've never listened to My Favorite Murder, they it's Karen and Georgia, and they each tell a story of a murder in each episode, or a, a true crime story. And it's sickening that they... There's no bottom. There's no end there's to this no shit. No, like, it's not like well, we got through them all. That that was a joke for the first year of like, oh, now we're done. <laughs> We've got all the murders. 
but so when the the five of us get together frequently we do like okay we're all kind of just curious have they done the god i forgot her name now but the murder uh the, the oh girl, the laura palmer the, inspiration yeah the not inspiration. that i know of but i also don't know that story okay. at all and it's something i do want to look into like I, if we could find a documentary i would love to talk about that on here okay. um but we so so the story you know the podcast is it's 20 minutes of small talk and then i'm gonna tell you the story that i research and so when we all get together frequently we'll say okay we're gonna do we say we're gonna do murders this week which mm-hmm. means we're gonna all research whatever story we're gonna research and then tell it to each other which feels like a very like throwback kind of way of like okay we're all gonna hang out and drink wine and like tell stories to each other but, but uh, and we all have a, uh, a Facebook group chat that's how we all communicate <laughs> when I was at the CNS my, the job I got fired from um, I had given my phone to my coworker for some reason like she needed to see a code or something like that mm-hmm. and <laughs> when I gave it to her a push notification came through of like so are we doing murders tonight because that's how we say are we all researching a murder I'm gonna tell this story <laughs> So I got the phone back. I saw the message and I was like, um, Kathy, did you see that push notification about we're going to do murder? She's like, uh-huh. And I was like, I'm just going to quickly explain what that's about <laughs> because I understand the concept- context is not strong. <laughs> anyway, I got fired from that job for some oh, reason. Yeah. Definitely unrelated. Um, but anyway, so uh, uh, Alyssa and Crystal, her girlfriend, decided they were going to start watching Twin Peaks and she watched three episodes and did the thing that, like, I'm sure this has happened to you. Anything that, like, I really am into and I try to get a friend into. And if they don't get into it right away, they're like, I'm so sorry. I didn't like this. And I'm mm-hmm. like, with some things, I'm like, how do you not like the Parks and Rec? How do you not like Superstore or whatever? But, like, when she was like, I don't know. I made it three episodes in Twin Peaks. I have no idea what the fuck is going on. I'm like, yeah, that's an understandable <laughs> response to this weird my, show. Yeah, my but I guess all of that was is your instinct to say here's why you should like it or is it to say well, it's okay if it's not um, for you first tangentially Hazel Drew was the name of the the murder that inspired oh Laura Hazel Palmer. Drew Hazel D-R- Drew D-R-E-W yes okay um but the um my my usual thought and I don't try to push it because I know it's for two reasons a it's a little bit of the elitist in me like it's twin peaks is not for everyone and those who get it i kind of feel like a a kinship to Mm -hmm. and so i don't want everyone to love it the same way you know oh sure so there's a little bit of that but my my thought my suggestion or my idea is always watch three episodes Mm. because part three is when you get the the Cooper rock throwing mm-hmm. and you get the dream sequence. And if you don't like that, you're And not if gonna... at that point you're not thoroughly intrigued, mm-hmm. it's not for you. Mm-hmm. Cuz that 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 element mm-hmm. is a backbone and a through line through the whole thing and if you can't get on board for that, most people it's the pilot will get them on board. Mm-hmm. And by the third episode they I would they either check out or are in mm-hmm. and if you are not one or the other don't bother 
don't yeah. bother. It's I a do- lot of TV yeah. that you don't yeah. have. And the thing is, like, you're going to weed through a lot of shit to get through the good part, you know? And and it makes it's less just, sense as it goes on. Yeah. Like, especially this third season is... N- we have to do these podcasts to make sense of it. Like genuinely, that's one of the reasons I wanted to sense. do this is because I did not understand what the fuck was ever yeah. going on. And I enjoyed a lot of it. I enjoyed Nothing Cooper. I enjoyed makes Moose. sense though. And it's, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. That's what I love about it. But I get, I absolutely get that people don't like that. Yeah. But also like I, I don't, there's very, very few shows I'm into. Yeah, well, and I, I like don't television like more TV. than you like more yeah, than like you I do. I don't typically like TV, and it's for the reason that everything it's formulaic, and I hate that. Well, and you've said it a few times on this show of like, okay, when you're telling a story and you keep switching directors, switching writers, how are you getting sure. a, a through line? Sure. Yeah. And I'm kind of this, and Twin Peaks, I think, is a very good example for me of like, if you don't like it, I have nothing to say to you that is going to convince you to like it. Which honestly is, I think, why when we go see a movie and you didn't like it and I did, like, I hate... If somebody's like, tell me what I should like about this thing in an an honest and earnest way, that's one thing. But, like, I didn't like it. What did you like about it? To me, whether or not that's the intent, I just feel immediately defensive. Can you think of any... Like, it's not... Lately, we've been on a a roll, I think, of most of the time we both like it when Mm -hmm. we see something together. There's been movies where I didn't love it. Very few movies where I hated it and you liked it. Um, But I can't think of anything offhand the other way around where like, I fucking loved that movie. You did not. That was on theaters? Yeah, that we like saw and would have had that experience. Because I was going to say Mother would be the first thing that came to mind and even that i i enjoy mother i don't love it no of course but that was a thing that you had watched already and thought i might like and it fucked my shit up um honestly for really only the only thing i can think of is knives out that's just like the thing that comes because it's the the other way around that i loved and you oh that you loved and i hated oh oh i'm sorry i i apparently zoned out halfway through um, the only I don't remember what your take was on the lighthouse. Um, I liked the lighthouse. Did you? Okay. I kind of want to see. It I loved it. Stoned. I think that would maybe add a layer that I would enjoy. I doubt I'll watch. I don't think I will watch the lighthouse again. Sure. But I, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it in theory. I enjoy cinema that like takes big swings that make sure. no sense, and like. Yeah, it, it works somehow. I just yeah, I feel like that's not a frequent occurrence that I love something and you don't. Can't I can't think of a, an example, but no, I can't. And it doesn't help that it's been a year since we've gone sure. to the theater together. Uh, I don't know. The other night we saw um, what's that movie? Uh, the Korean movie, not Korean. The oh, Mar- Minari. Yeah, Minari. I yeah, Minari. I really really like. I and the thing is, like, I didn't hate it at all I just like halfway through I was like oh this isn't the kind of movie I like to watch and the spoilers are Minari skip maybe a minute forward um when the uh the whole fire thing really I that's the kind of thing I find very upsetting I find things like that of like somebody tried to do something good and fucked up in a big way in a way that ruined everything and to me that is like the peak of my anxiety of like 
What if I trip over this stick and a house explodes? Yeah, but that's what brought the family together. A hundred percent. And I understand that and I appreciate it. Okay. I just, those aren't the kind of movies I like watching because I find them really, I find them more stressful than enjoyable. That kid, the both kids were fucking cute as buttons. (laughs) The grandma, like, listen, there was no, there was not a flaw in that movie. Sure. Right? Sure. It's just... I, I think that's just part of like getting older, right? Of like, oh, these just kind of aren't the movies I like. Yeah. And and I di- and the thing when I said I try to go into movies knowing as little as possible, Same. that can cut both ways. Of like, I think if I had known that it was just sort of an interfamilial conflict, I might not have been as interested in seeing it. Yeah. I I just. I think maybe it has to do with like me feeling awkward and me being extraordinarily empathetic and like genuinely the whole time that the grandmother was trying to like do good and sort of either fell short or grandly fucked up like it just makes me too uncomfortable. It's it, honestly like that is the same reason I will avoid any movie that's about Alzheimer's or about hmm. like you know, the, the I love a descent insanity. I do not like a descent into senility. <laughs> it makes me extremely stressed. There's something about like people, adults dealing with indignities that I find extremely stressful. Interesting. And I think that just reflects back. I mean, I'm sorry. Have we been going too long, asshole? Yes. <laughs> oh my god, our dog just yelled at us for talking too long. You're the literal worst dog that's ever existed. All right, she Just, is right though. Yeah, we have. Oh my god, we're three and a half hours. But but all that's to say is like I I feel like I am pretty at this point pretty good at at identifying what Dottie I will literally kill you just and keep, then wear your you, no I'm gonna wear her skin like a coat and she needs to hear it. She's got good skin though. <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, listen, I think this was. Maybe one of my favorite things that we've done together. Yeah. It makes me... Ex- I, I'm very curious about go- going forward with this with... You are you, sure I'm going to hate or raise her head. And for some reason, I've gotten seen, to my head of like... You've seen David Lynch stuff. Like, or you've seen Twin Peaks before. So, oh, this... You can dive into this a little bit more and that's kind of fun. I am very, very curious about your thoughts on all of David Lynch in general specifically Eraserhead and Inland Empire. Okay, because those are the two I haven't seen at all. Like Your mind is going to be... Really? Insane. For some reason, I am in a weird place that even though I know I'm easily affected by things, I'm like, no, no, no I've got this, which is stupid yeah, and it's based on I'm, nothing. I, like, I mean, I do remember aggressively falling asleep during Lost Highway because I was angry at it. Yeah. So I'm very curious to, to cut back to that. Um, but you've got a little more context and stuff on David Lynch and yeah, his and approach and all that stuff now. And so I think I knows? like David Lynch personally and like philosophically so much. He's a fucking character. He's a fucking I adore character. him. He's and so he's wild. Lovable in every aspect. And so I think I <laughs> I actively fr- I think of 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 him as Gordon Cole of a sort of like bumbly mm-hmm. loud talking guy with tall hair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm I'm very excited to. Uh, and, and the thing is, I might come to these movies and absolutely fucking hate them, 
that does not take away. I, I think that's important to realize. Like, I love David Lynch. I think sure. whether or and not I enjoy his work, I love what he does. And I would would not be because like. Elephant Man is very different. Dune is very different. Straight Story is very different. I'm not excited to watch Dune. Yeah. Um, <laughs> neither am I. That's the correct take? Neither am I. It's not good. Even David Lynch hates Dune. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's that's the idea. Like, the, he's got an eclectic catalog. He's mm-hmm. pigeonholed as is a goofy, weird, dark, twisted dream guy. Mm-hmm. But he's got a pretty eclectic catalog. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, I guess I just want to say if you're still listening to this three and a half hour episode. Maybe we'll take a I don't know. We can decide if we want to do next week or take a break. We can decide if we want to talk about the art life mm-hmm. or just watch it as yeah. context and then do a yeah, razor head. I, I said Who I really knows? want to watch all the behind the scenes stuff of season three. And Mikey said, do you want to do a podcast about it? And I don't think I do. I, I think I would like to discuss linear in story yeah. elements. We might take a week to just discuss David Lynch and then jump in with a razor head or something. I don't know. A week of the podcast or a week off the podcast off. for you and we, I? We might um, take a week off and yeah. yeah so. And that's kind of why I think I want to go every other week. Sure. Like if we need to skip a week, it's not a, bit, not a big deal. And we can just plan on keeping this is our Sunday or Saturday afternoon ritual. And mm-hmm. if we can't, we can't. We and if you guys hate it, you know yeah. our Twitter and we'll... If you hate it... Fuck you, this is free. We've lost like $300 (laughs) making this. If you hate it, you can jump up your own ass. Why are you still listening? No, genuinely, if you hate this and it's as my clap goes. I meant if you hate us taking a week off in between episodes. I didn't mean if you. (laughs) Oh, I thought you meant if you hate the movies. (laughs) That's what I mean. You got, like, I was saying if you hate it that we're taking some breaks and. Oh, I thought you meant if you (laughs) hate, like, our opinions. Well, I'm a podcaster. People hate me a lot. This is true. And Mike, genuinely, I have actively hid shit from you because I think it would stress you out too oh, much to see I've how many. Oh, absolutely. I told you to. Yeah. I've told you to hide yes. that shit from me because it. I get much more aggravated than you do when awful people are awful on the internet. Yeah, I have pretty thick skin, dude. Being a human woman. Um. Anyway, I guess to close this up, I'm. This was sort of a joke idea when we started doing it because it came out of my other podcast friendly atheist that we would do some um bonus episodes quote-unquote bonus episodes that were only available to our, our patrons on patreon and we would watch a movie and talk about it and it filled me with such joy like it was something we watched a lot of bad movies too though and it was so fun yeah and like that's so our yeah. jam right of like watch I still think House on Haunted Hill is a pretty good one. Yeah, I don't. But anyway, all that's to say is like, it was sort of a goof. And I, when we started it, it was like, listen, we're at the time, we didn't know at the time, but like the beginning of lockdown, we started this in April or May. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were, we were just into the heart of, we don't know what's going on. We're in lockdown. Yeah. yeah. And so we decided to do this and... Honestly, like, it is one of my favorite things we have done. Yeah, I agree. I think I said that already. But, like, Mm -hmm. I think it gave us structure through the, through the, whatever, through the Mm -hmm. pandemic. I think it gave us a, not a platform. just something to do. It was something to do. Like, I've had so little things to do that, yeah. Well, and routine is great. 
But I think also, like, just in our relationship, I genuinely in like there is a reason Leslie is one of my best friends and we're both lip majors is because we would just sit and bullshit about things that ultimately don't matter but like (laughs) but matter so much in the course of human existence sure Sure. um I'm glad we did it I think we're I don't know I just I'm glad we're I'm glad I think you're as smart as I do. I don't know. There's just always a thing of like, what if he says something terrible? And I think he's no, like I, it makes me very happy that you're as smart and insightful as you are. Like that makes me feel very good about you and you being my partner. And I don't know. I, um, I guess I love you. Oh, thanks. That's nice. Yeah, you can say nice things too. about me if you want. No, this is great. I feel, <laughs> no. I said you can say nice things about me if you want. He said, "No, this is great." No, I mean, <laughs> like a, you keep talking to me you, about the good things. Come on, you grew up in the Midwest too. You know, you start every sentence with "no." <laughs> no, this is no. Yeah, this. No, yeah, this. That's how fucking Midwesterners start sentences. <laughs> no doesn't mean anything to start a sentence. No, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it's that's how you fucking talk out here. You know that. No, it's been good. I, I, I love it. It's. Uh, honestly like I and it's this is a thing that has been very important to me for a lot of my life and so the fact that you're willing to jump into that is is impressive to me and I and you are trying to get what where I'm at and granted you'll never get there no absolutely not right but it's it's sweet and it's nice and I love it thank you so you're welcome yeah and I love you too Okay, Uh, well, we're getting alarmingly close to four hours, so... um, So we're... So we've got, what, 40 minutes or so uh before we match the guy the one guy's take on twin peaks and the true meaning of twin peaks and this one episode whose name i don't even know who the fuck like okay so that so that thing exists so uh, people know about this there's the we'll post a link to it or whatever but this guy put a four and a half hour video of him explaining what all of twin peaks means twin peaks in its entirety season one two Firewalk with me season three. You didn't even know someone in Twin Peaks shirt. Yeah, uh, that are. I got in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Well, in. Snoqualmie. Snoqualmie. Yeah. At the Great Northern. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great shirt. It is. Um, but you, so this guy did this whole thing. We started watching, I watched it already. You started watching it. Last night. Last night. Um, we got up 40 minutes or so into it. Um, but it's some dude <laughs> talking about his theory on. And it's a very well thought out, very well put together, wonderful presentation. The guy's kind of a condescending prick. Yes. Um, well, I. But also, the bigger thing is, who the fuck is he? I have no idea. Like, there's a Twin Peaks community that exists, and there's you know your 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 Scott Ryan's and your John Thorns and your even John Bernardi, who's been on our yeah, show. Like, Twin he's Peaks a guy. Scholars that exist and. Hey, John. Yeah. <laughs> There's people that exist. I don't know who this fucking guy is or how we, like, I don't, it's mind-blowing. But he has a theory, and it's an interesting theory. You can take it or leave it or whatever. Yeah. It's worth viewing. Yeah. Once I, you've seen everything, and I have the hiccups now. Uh-oh. Once you've seen everything, it's worth viewing. Yeah. 
I think that's what I want to watch you tonight can, instead of can, behind okay. the scenes stuff. You can take it or leave it, but mm. it's worth viewing. And I, that's all I'll say about that. Like, and honestly, I was primed to hate this guy. It's like, oh, this sure. is a white dude. And, who, and he <laughs> is douchey as fuck. Douchey as fuck. He thinks he has all the answers. He wears the suit. He wears the pins. And so like. And he does a terrible David Lynch terrible impression David every Lynch time impression. he reads a quote from him. And it, However. That's terrible. Comma. It's thought out. It's thorough. It's, he did his fucking research. Yeah. And I know that sounds like, like a really cunty thing to say sure. about him. But like understand that I live in the atheist world sure. and all it is is men making two hour videos of why they're right and you're wrong it's, and so I'm just really primed to be anti whatever but like uh, respect to this yeah. guy this guy did his it's research. it's all the stupid theories that we come up with and then halfway through us explaining our theory we kind of get lost and go meandering yeah everything he says comes back to a point mm-hmm. it's Oh, it's and there's super impressive. Credit to that. That and might I, be my new dream job. My dream job used to be being a writer. My be new- a shitty YouTuber. Who? Has- I mean, God, if if my job was just to make well thought out videos about shit that ultimately doesn't matter, I would love. Like I, there's a, uh, I'll, I'll link in the notes, but there's a podcaster who, or excuse me, a YouTuber who did a whole thing about like why the music of cats 2019 was so fucking terrible and i'm a a number one fan of cats <laughs> yeah. the musical the cats movie is garbage and i've seen it five times um but but i like that thing of like hey let's go real deep on a pretty superfluous yeah. topic and that's probably my favorite piece of culture of like how deep can i get in something that ultimately does not matter um okay we absolutely need to cut yep. this off Got um it. So we will talk to y'all in probably two weeks. Yeah, probably. Uh, hey, thanks for taking this journey with us. This was this was honestly pretty intimate, all things considered. Like I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it'll be a place both wonderful and strange. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper at Twin Peaks Podcast for Regular People, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Forker Creative. You can follow them at Forker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.